0: you're listening to the audio only version of the moe gamer podcast don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on youtube check moegamer.net for a link to the channel and now on with the show hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the moe gamer podcast i'm pete davison from moegamer.net and i'm here with the artist formerly known as chris caskey from mr now newly rebranded as uh, what is it c yeah. isn't it yeah. yeah so that's where you can find chris around social media and uh, you've got a website in the works at the minute so uh, look out for that soon i guess
1: Yes, uh, website with shop, a full integrated storefront, so you will no longer have to go to Etsy on a separate website to buy my shit. So, very exciting, everything's going to be in one
0: concise place. Lovely stuff, and you should buy his shit because it's great. Anyway, uh, how are you doing, other than that then? I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh,
1: been a little while since we reconvened, so we've got some interesting stuff to talk about, lots yep. of stuff we've been
0: playing yeah definitely and uh, a bit of news and stuff so uh, as usual we're going to follow our three-part format for this we're going to start with some of the news that has come out over the course of the last month or so. so so some of this isn't like the most up-to-date stuff but it's things that we wanted to chat about um then in our second segment we'll talk about what we've been playing recently and then for our third segment today we'll be talking about 3d arcade races which is uh, a favorite genre of mine and one that chris doesn't know a huge amount about so it's uh, one of our episodes where we do a bit of a bit of a cultural exchange or whatever you want to call it
1: <laughs> i love it i love to learn new stuff i like to learn about new stuff i should put on my radar yeah cool especially given our mo- re- our most recent like love affair with the 360 and uh ps3 generation it'd be cool to have a couple ten dollar racing games i should pick up so yeah definitely looking forward and, and, to learning
0: and as we'll talk about a bit later the, the 360 and ps3 eras. are uh, a good era to explore with regard to these but we'll we'll talk more about that in the third segment so let's start with uh, some of the news that has been coming out over the course of the last month or so so first one is that um falcom has been talking a little bit about the next trails game after hajimari no kiseki um so this is going to be another one that has a battle system with action elements uh, so it's not an action rpg but there will be action elements to the uh, combat system and a largely different cast of characters so um, i guess there's going to be a few cameos from the other trails games in there but it's going to be a mostly original cast from the sound of things um, the new game is not a sequel to hajimari no kiseki uh, as hajimari no kiseki is apparently completely self-contained and ends within itself Um, there's going to be new locations and stuff that they haven't visited in the series before, uh, new organisations and um, sort of groups of of people to explore um, throughout the course of the narrative and uh, yeah, uh, Toshihiro Kondo from Falcom says that this is a type of battle never before seen, whatever that means so (laughs) (laughs) I guess they're they're trying something a bit different but uh, exactly what remains to be seen at the minute
1: it's Falcom. I place my trust in them unwaveringly. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is, I will buy it and I will buy it and celebrate it, but never actually play it. And make yeah, sure. I was gonna
0: say I, I'll <laughs> buy it and play it in ten years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like at this point, like the Trails of Cold Steel quadrilogy. At this point, where like, there's four, like the fourth one's coming out in the West in autumn, yeah. right? It's like my favorite joke is that like I'm it's my investment for retirement. <laughs> like,
0: yeah yeah i've I've actually been putting off playing trails of cold steel for so long that i have the first two games on vita and ps4 now (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i held off on buying the the vita and ps3 versions of the originals uh but it was just a stroke of luck like i did it because i didn't have money at the time yeah but like once the ps4 versions came out i'm like all in for the whole set
0: yeah well as as i mentioned a few times previously my my grand plan for the trail series is to do something similar to what i've been doing with Atelier, which oh, is to sure. do a, a long-term mega feature on the whole series so start with trails in the sky work through those three games which are, is a substantial time investment in itself but um and then move on to trails of cold steel and then if we have um no kiseki and zero no kiseki in english by then um officially yeah. that's the cross and, bell arc right that's right that, yeah
1: that's happening like th- we're gonna get those reboots this, yeah, this, this, this series has become way too popular in, in yeah. the west for them not to translate those
0: exactly and and falcom isn't the sort of developer who is stubborn about that sort of thing falcom is is more than happy to sort of embrace the western audience so yeah oh yeah. yeah i have i have little to no doubt that we'll see those at some point but and i are, still want i still want a switch cart with all three trails in the sky on please so that was literally that gonna
1: be the next thing out of my mouth because like <laughs> (laughs) you you know us like physical goons like i still i don't have two and three right i only have the original psp release of one yeah and isn't three more like three is the one that has a bit of a controversial uh following because it's a bit less story heavy and a bit more dungeon crawly isn't it
0: i i I honestly don't know much about the second and third ones i i bought them on gag a while back uh when they were on sale but I, i i have not even looked at them, let alone played them. So I don't, I don't know much about those two.
1: I remember reading, it might have been on like Hardcore Gaming 101 when they did like their profile of the series. But like, I guess three has this like kind of like traveling through like different like dimensions thing where you like go to different like dungeons and it's, it's a bit less like okay. talky talky and a bit more like heavily mechanical focused, which so means so it's so probably sounds, the one I'll like the most. I was
0: gonna say, sounds right, Eburelli, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the the only other thing I remember about the series is the that the the second one, uh, nearly uh, <laughs> nearly meant that we don't have a carpe Fulga anymore. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, that uh, that one uh, nearly drove poor Andrew Dice to uh, something he would have probably regretted. But uh, thankfully, <laughs> he he seems to have uh, recovered from that and is uh, doing some other projects now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Difficult stuff for a time, but yes. Uh, so that is my that is my long term plan for the trail series. So several people have asked me whether I'm going to be looking at it at some point, and the answer is yes, but I don't know when. <laughs> right, uh,
1: uh, when the uh, new three maybe... D ones, Shara comes back, doesn't she?
0: Yes, I think so. Oh, yeah, boy. most most of the trails <laughs> characters put in at least cameos in Trails of Cold Steel. I think, and and they're they're sort of actual party members in in some of them. I think as well. I've I've certainly uh, seen Estelle and Joshua. lurking around alright moving on next one we've got is that Space Invaders Forever has been announced for Playstation 4 and Switch Uh, so this is coming from Inin Games or I-N-I-N Games however you pronounce that and Taito Uh, this is a collection that includes Space Invaders Extreme Space Invaders Giga Max 4 SE and Arkanoid vs Space Invaders and it's going to be released both physically and digitally in North America, Europe Australia and New Zealand sometime this year Uh, worth noting that this is not uh, the same space invaders collection that strictly limited games did a while back Um, but it needs
1: to be pointed out that these games are included in that collection that strictly limited put out so really the strictly limited one is the better buy but it's limited whereas the design release is is a standard retail release
0: Yes, the the, the Strictly Limited one also includes uh, sort of ports of the older arcade games as well. So it's got everything back to the 1978 original Space Invaders. It's got Space Invaders Part 2, Majestic 12 Space Invaders Part 4 from 1990, uh, Super Space Invaders from 1991, um, Space Invaders Extreme, Gigamax 4 SE, Arcanoid versus space invaders uh but then on top of that it's also got space invaders dx from 1994 space cyclone from 1980 and lunar rescue from 1979 which is um sort of not technically a space invaders game but most people sort of um associate it with space invaders because it's got a lot of uh, design elements in common with it and it looks very similar to the original space invaders game so that's also a game um that i haven't really seen acknowledged since the taito legends connection um back on ps2 so be nice to see see that again because it's quite quite a fun little game it's simple but it's it's good fun
1: yeah and and as of this recording uh that space invaders invincible collection on strictly limited they do still have stock available yes um so then that is technically the better buy but either way Either of these collections are, are pretty noteworthy because those modern Space Invaders games, uh, this will be the first time they've been available physically and archivable. They've been um, digital only. Yes. You know, like Gigamax 4 um arkanoid versus space invaders um the the, the console versions of these have, have never been available in a physical format before yeah. for home ownership
0: well well arkanoid versus space invaders was um free to play mobile originally wasn't it i think that's correct so, Yeah, yeah so it'll be nice to have a, a version of that that doesn't have all the associated bullshit with that so mm-hmm. looking forward to that um because yeah i did play a little of that and it seemed to be quite fun but then it was also like oh please bad these boosters and power-ups and i was like no yeah <laughs> yeah, we, we, both, we both
1: got into that for a bit, I remember, yeah. and, and, and mechanically it's sound, it's a lot of fun, like the mashup between the two is really interesting, mm-hmm. But uh, so it'll be great to be able to sit down and play that with a controller, not on a touch screen, and not yes. be bothered by FTP bullshit.
0: Yep, Definitely. All right, uh, next up, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2 is on the way uh, for PS5, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC, so everything, Uh, and that (laughs) is coming in early 2021. Um, So, apparently what this offers is that um, there's a new story for the single-player mode, Uh, there's a new skill battle mode, uh, which includes item cards... um, it doesn't really say what they do but presumably they have various unpleasant effects on your opponent um yeah I, I mean when this was first announced i when this was first announced i was kind of thinking well what else is there to to do with those games but um, i it, it seems that there's there's sort of some other modes in there there's there's like tournament modes and lessons and stuff so it's from the sound of things it's pure pure tetris but more
1: <laughs> never a bad thing
0: yeah exactly exactly so that is that is a cool puzzle game and as I think we've said before um I'm always happy to see um sort of classic style puzzle games getting uh, sort of substantial high profile releases as well and Puya Puyo Tetris was well received say so, um very particularly well received by the sort of competitive scene in japan uh, which is why you don't ever go online in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's terrifying um, yeah yeah but uh yeah that is coming in early twenty twenty um sorry beg your pardon it's coming in time for the holidays with the pc version coming in 2020 2021 rather okay uh next up uh pokemon sword and shield is getting a physical re-release that includes uh, both of the dlc packs on the cartridge so that's the um what is it the isle of armor and whatever the other one is crown, crown Tundra. crown tundra that. yeah yeah um, so they've announced a few more details about the Crown Tundra as well. There's some quite interesting new um, uh, things to do in that. It's, it, there's these, um, what are they called, um, Dynamax Adventures or something like that, which seems like a combination of going through dungeons and having Dynamax battles as well, which sounds quite interesting. And you can do those multiplayer. So. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, it sounds like those are going to be sort of a, a more substantial... Um, cooperative multiplayer thing that you can do besides just the the standard uh, Dynamax battles, so that could be quite fun. Don't know if I'll go back to it because I, I did enjoy Pokemon Sword and Shield, but I mean, I ha- I have so many other things to play now that I'm I'm not sure if I'm inclined enough to go back and explore those. But the the new stuff does sound interesting.
1: Yeah, um, and for me, I think it's just a matter of uh, the new expansions also. Bringing new Pokemon into the full and uh, yeah, and and bringing back old Pokemon. Like I think one of the expansions is going to reintroduce Nidoran, which is like my favorite. Uh, Nido mm-hmm. King is my favorite Pokemon. So so like I was really sad that I couldn't have like HD 3D Nidoking, King, but I think I can. <laughs> I think I can now if I get one of the expansions. So
0: yeah, yeah, that's cool. And and like I say, these um, they've confirmed that the. The game and the expansions will be on the cartridge, so you, you, you won't need to download any extra data onto the Switch. So, for those of you whose SD cards are getting a bit full now, you don't need to worry too much about that, aside from any um, sort of actual software updates.
1: And for those we- of you who are insane enough to spend $60 to rebuy a game you spent $60 on last year just because <laughs> you want DLC on cart. <laughs>
0: No, no. Just because you want one Pokemon, let's let's be honest. <laughs> I, like I also
1: want that like new like Kung Fu Bear. He looks really cool. I
0: yeah,
1: don't know. Yeah. All
0: right, all right okay uh next up we've got uh, an announcement that death smiles one and two are coming for switch ps4 and xbox one which i'm very happy about because death smiles is one of my favorite cave shooters and i've never played death smiles 2 because it got a kind of weird um release on xbox 360 i think it was like digital only in north america or something like that so Desire. yeah it's weird um so death smiles if you're not familiar is a sort of um gothic uh, shoot-em-up. So it's uh, horizontally scrolling bullet hell and the characters are all like witches and angels and devils and that sort of thing. And you blast your way through uh, various sort of spooky Halloween-y type areas with uh, pipe organ music playing in the background and the final boss is called Tyranno Satan.
1: I was going to say what was the, the final boss's amazing name? Yeah. <laughs> Tyranno oh, Satan.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they, uh, this death smiles one i can certainly vouch for as being a great game death two i don't know a ton about i know that they shifted from sprite work into polygons with that one if i remember correctly um but as far as i'm aware it was similarly well regarded as as one of caves uh, cave shooters so this is being uh brought to us by city connection uh who we've talked about a few times previously they are the ones who have been sort of working with a lot of old Jallico properties and stuff as well and they're great um yeah, so they've been doing some really cool stuff, and it's it's great to see that um, that they're bringing sort of beloved but quite hard to find games back like this. Um, and they're they're sort of very big on physical releases as well. In fact, they they've done some things that were physical first. Yeah, um, so Soldam originally was a physical only release for Switch. Uh but now you can get it you can get it digitally for Switch and PS4 now as well as uh, a physical version for PS4. But yeah, yep. that, that should mean you be, you'll be able to have decimals on your shelf if you don't have it already, like I yeah.
1: do. Yeah, they work through dispatch in the West, City Connect yes. dispatch games. Um and I have a couple of their releases too, that uh Penguin Wars was a lot of fun. hmm And uh the the game Ten Goku Cruisin' mix. Yes. Yeah, all them.
0: Right, uh, moving on, um, there was a Nier event a little while back in which we had the release date for Near Replicant confirmed as April 22nd of 2021. Um, so yeah, this was as part of the we have a decent amount of new info stream. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a new trailer for that uh, that shows some of the remastered areas uh, and a new version of Kainé's theme from the soundtrack. Um, so yeah, this is looking like a... Um, a substantial remake um i'm kind of in two minds about this because i i'm a big fan of daddy near yeah uh, it, i know it's, it's gonna feel a, a bit weird to 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 go back to to um to big brother near but um or to or to play as big brother Near. Yeah. but i mean it's near i mean daddy
1: near is one of the reasons near is one of my favorite games
0: yes like yeah. the
1: idea of being uh, an aging father is like why that game is so like emotionally resonant to me in a big way
2: yeah but yeah. at the same
1: time this remake to me like if this was an HD remake of daddy near I don't think I'd be as excited because this makes it almost a new game to me
0: yes exactly exactly that's 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 what I've been thinking as well so I mean've I've still got daddy near on my shelf for 360 so I can go and play that anytime I want and this this will be hopefully enough of a new experience to make it worth uh, worth exploring again so.
1: I mean, the true baller move would be for it to be both. And you yes. can switch it in the options. Like, that would yes. be the best.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so, they, uh, alongside the release date, they also confirmed a White Snow edition for this that comes with a lot of goodies. Uh, so, it comes with the original soundtrack, artwork, voice actor scripts, pins, um, seven books. And, um, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. So, if you have money to burn... <laughs> then uh this is this is something you will probably want to have on your shelf because it's yeah, it's it's rather lovely. Um but uh, I, I know a lot of people have jumped on that straight away as soon as pre orders went up, so I'm not hundred percent sure if it will still be available by the time you hear this, but uh, worth a look. Worth a look. That's but, direct uh, be- from
1: the Square next store, right? That's That's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Their shipping is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> i remember when i played lost sphere that was like the follow-up from tokyo rpg factory they did um they did i am Setsuna, and then lost sphere was like the follow-up game that was like a spiritual successor to chrono trigger mechanically mm-hmm. and, I, and i think the shipping was like 11.99 and I, it was like a 30 game the shipping yeah. was like 11.99 i was like i hate you square enix store
0: yeah. Well. Well. Welcome. Welcome to my life. Ordering anything vaguely limited. Well, imagine
1: what it would have been for. <laughs> you, imagine what it would have been for you then if it was eleven, yeah. $11. ninety nine for me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I was quite fortunate. I managed to score a copy of *Lost Sphere* for like twenty quid from my local CEX a while back. So oh, like, I do have a copy of that. But uh, yes right uh moving on uh, a bunch of x lab zero members have formed a company called future club um so this is after lab zero basically imploded a while back after inappropriate behavior from uh, mike z um so there was a bunch of people left after these revelations came out about uh, mike z and then everyone else got fired so um yeah, Lab Zero is no more, but uh, they they live on through Future Club from the sound of things. So there's there's 15 members formerly from Lab Zero in there, um, and they will be making 2D animated games uh, because that is what they're good at.
1: Yes, they're they- very good at it. Yes, yes,
0: indeed. So they haven't uh, they haven't announced what they're going to be working on yet, um, but the the people who sort of own the skull girls ip now have confirmed that uh, autumn games own the series ip now and that uh, any sort of previously planned updates uh, for that game are still going ahead uh, there's new dlc fighters still coming for skull girls so skull girls is still going to live on despite uh, lab zero not being a thing anymore so and yeah future clubs definitely going to be going to be one to watch because uh, well i mean despite everything they make uh, they make very pretty very good games so
1: yeah, I was very i very excited. Very excited to hear about this. And I was I'm also really interested to see um basically just kind of their output from like a the perspective of someone who's also interested in the game industry because yeah. they're structuring the company radically differently than a lot of game developers do and it's it, it's actually going to be um uh they're calling it cooperatively structured from a business perspective like the mm-hmm. the it's going to be employee owned. Which is yeah. abnormal? Which is abnormal for a game development company? Usually, there's an owner or a or a CEO, but they're 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 actually like integrating it at a horizontal level, where where everyone yeah. will have a stake in the company, which is really cool because it means everyone, um, you know, everyone has a stake in the performance of their goods. It's not just one person wielding a hammer, essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, next up, we've got news that uh, another cave shooter is coming to North America on PlayStation 4. This is Ketsui Destiny, which uh, I think we talked about a couple of episodes back. Uh, is uh, M2 Shot Triggers uh, had done a PS4 port of that. That has been confirmed for Western release now. It uh, came out in Japan in 2018, um, so this this Western port has obviously been being considered for a, a while um, the ps4 version has got a super easy mode uh so if you're not good at shoot-em-ups and especially not good at cave shoot-em-ups which are very difficult um you can you can sort of enjoy the game with a bit less pressure on you and apparently that also makes the hidden boss available to fight without having to do whatever you need to do in that because uh, cave shooters are known for sort of having fairly obtuse mechanics for getting onto second loops and fighting secret bosses and so on so the the super easy modes will allow you to See and experience that without having to go through uh, many layers of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I do love some shooters, though.
0: Yep, indeed. M2 uh, Shot
1: Triggers is amazing. I really yeah. need them to to release the um, the an English version of the. They did Maho Daisakusen, which is my favorite Rising series. Yep. They uh, only, only did the first one, but that's out of three, but that's still good enough. Those games are incredible.
0: Mm hmm yeah yeah definitely so apparently for the western release they've been adding a few extra features that have already been incorporated into the japanese version so the the western version will be the most up-to-date version of this Uh, so it'll do things like show you how many multiplier chips you collect throughout the course of the game and what shots caused them and so on so those of you who want to sort of really analyze your performance and uh, improve your game and chase those high scores you've, you've got some better tools to be able to do that which is cool um, yeah, so I'll probably check that out because I I do like some cave shooters. Uh, next piece of news we've got is Disgaea Six uh, is coming in January 2021. Um, so um, there was something weird with this, wasn't there? So it's... well,
1: yeah, it was originally like thought to be a Switch exclusive, and then they yes. were like, no, 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 also PS4. <laughs> like...
0: Yeah. So I, I I think I think what is happening is I think it might be a Switch exclusive or at least a timed exclusive over here but it's coming out it's coming out on ps4 in japan and the japanese versions are coming out in uh, towards the end of january in 2021 so um yeah so so watch out for that so there's some lovely looking uh sort of art and trailers and stuff for this now they've gone for um sort of cell shady polygons this time around instead of pixel art sprites which is the first Uh,
1: for the series exactly
0: yeah um but yeah it looks like it's it's maintaining all of the sort of distinctive style and character of the series so yeah I th- I think a few people were a bit worried with that switch to 3D but uh based on what we've seen so far I th- I don't think there's a lot to worry about in that regard certainly Yeah
1: yeah like when I read in the news like when I saw a news blurb that was like this guy, character sprites are now 3D I was like uh-oh cuz like I was, <laughs> I was I was I was angry enough when they made the switch from sprites to like HD 2D yeah, yeah and, then, and then they went, now they're 3D. But then, as soon as I saw the footage, I was like, this is, this is really charming, like, high-level cell shading. And, like, you don't mm-hmm. really see that much cell shading these days. So it's really cool to see, like, a, a good company really putting their muscle behind cell shading on modern consoles. And, like, it just looks fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Alright, uh next bit of news uh is that devil may cry 5 5 yes 5 yeah five. um <laughs> devil may cry 5 special edition uh was revealed a while back for uh playstation 5 and they've also confirmed that there will be physical versions eventually Whatever that means, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess I guess that means that they're not going to be available immediately, but they're they're coming down the line, and hopefully that means it will be a truly properly complete edition that you won't have to download updates and DLC for. But well, yeah. But at least you know,
1: they'll have the main DLC pack that they're doing yes. on, on the cart, like updates, perhaps not, but the, the 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 meaty DLC that they're making for it that includes the, that extra playable character will be on the disc, they've said. So that's my biggest concern, is that the the, the Virgil playable character content will actually be pressed on the the special edition. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, if you're sort of interested in the techie side of things, they've released a trailer and some screenshots uh, showing the comparison between the the original version and the PS5 version with ray tracing active on there. So if you're into that sort of thing, you can have a look at that now and see what difference that makes. Um, Yeah. So, uh, if you're getting a PS5, that's probably going to be a, a good game to, to pick up if you haven't already played through uh, DMC5.
1: Yeah, so far everything I'm excited for in the PS5 is either coming to every other console or just an upgraded yeah. port of stuff player yeah. you have on PS4. Yeah, exactly. So, but exactly. we won't get it. We won't get into our old man grumpiness regarding. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh. our, what's our what's our what's what's our copywritten phrase now? Next gen nonsense.
0: <laughs> oh dear all right uh continuing on there's uh a couple of new monster hunter games on the way so there's monster hunter stories 2 wings of ruin is coming to switch in summer of 2021 so this is a follow-up to the 3ds game uh that also got a mobile release if i remember correctly um so yeah this rather than being a traditional monster hunter monster hunter stories are uh turn-based rpgs and you fight alongside monsters and you hatch eggs and befriend monsters and all that sort of thing um so yeah this this is a a new installment in that series and alongside that uh they also announced monster hunter rise uh which is the next uh sort of quote-unquote proper monster hunter game uh which is coming for switch so rather than uh it looks like this is going to sort of run alongside Monster Hunter World which will be the um the sort of quote unquote next gen version whatever you want to call it and then mm-hmm. on switch we'll have Monster Hunter Rise which um
1: has puppies.
0: Yes, it has puppies and 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 stuff like that. So it looks uh, it looks pretty cool. It's got um sort of that distinctive uh sort of Monster Hunter look about it. And uh yeah, people seem to be very excited about this. As I say Monster Hunter not a series I know very well, but uh, the people who are into it that I I know and follow, they seem to be very into the idea of this. Even with Monster Underworld being so well received as well, so yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, they've revealed some cool stuff uh, about Rise so far mechanically that's going to make it really distinct from previous entries um they have there's like now a grappling hook style mechanic which is kind of lifted from world but that was really well received in world so it's really cool to see something like that being added into uh proper monster hunter for like uh, environmental traversal stuff and um, the dog is a huge addition um because um for people like me who almost exclusively play monster hunter solo the dog is going to be uh, a companion you can bring with you who also can do uh attacks Um, traditionally, traditionally you had the little kitty cat friends, but they were more about either providing buffs or like running distraction or, um, helping you gather materials. Um, they were not really a a huge boost in actual combat, but the dog is going to participate in combat with you. Um, so actually like dealing damage and, um, you can do like combo attacks with it. Um, which is also going to introduce interesting, um, dynamics into how you would build a party for yourself when you're playing solo, because you can now bring two companions with you and you can do it however you wish. So you could bring two cats, two dogs, dog and a cat, and, and shift that dynamic to how you want your party to function essentially. Um, so uh, some really cool new dynamics and hopefully you'll be able to build armor for your doggies just like you can for your kitties. I'm very (laughs) excited. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Alright, uh continuing on, we've got a trailer for a game called Maglam Lord. I have not been following this at all, so what what's caught your eye about this one?
1: Uh mainly just that it's a new IP from Felestella.
0: Oh, yes. Which yes. is
1: a, a company that I really appreciate. Um, yes, Stella it perhaps most recently people are aware of them because they did the Azure Lane game, Azure Lane Crosswave. Yes. Um but they they have been around for a long time, mainly being the m- most recent developers for the Summon Knight series. Um, yeah, and they just they make cool niche uh, niche anime style RPGs. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a whole heck of a lot in terms of gameplay footage from Maglam Lord yet but it, to me what i've seen it looks very reminiscent of the swordcraft story uh, no i'm sorry the summon night swordcraft story spin-off series yeah. from summon night which was basically like summon night with a dungeon crawler mechanic because those were handheld games but the combat was a action side scroller style combat very similar to early tales of games okay um so the the focus of this game very much appears to be almost like it's a reboot of summon night swordcraft story so you are this demon lord or whatever who is uh also like a smith so there's a heavy focus on like making weapons and working in a smithy while also doing like classic anime game harem stuff like you can like fall in love and get married and all that stuff so as you manage your smithy and build your weapons and have your adventures uh like side scroller style battles just like everything about it seems right up my alley the art's quite beautiful um, and like I said just from a developer pedigree standpoint I've liked most Felistella stuff I've played so I'm really happy to see them working on what appears to be an original IP that's theirs loosely based on something that they made years ago that I also really enjoyed
0: yeah 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 I want to keep an eye on then uh, yeah I, I yeah I, I do remember it that getting announced now now that you mentioned it's Felistella but yeah I completely forgotten the name of it but uh, yeah looks cool and there's a there's a trailer for that now showing uh, some very brief looks at gameplay, a couple of the new characters, and a bit of voice acting. So it's like uh, the classic
1: can... terrible Japanese trailer. Where it's, just pe- <laughs> it's just people talking over music while like text flies around and like pictures, <laughs> like pictures of character art. And then there's like some gameplay footage in like a tiny rectangle next to the character art's head. Like why? Do- <laughs> why do they make these trailers like this?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh next up, uh we have had confirmation and a trailer for Final Fantasy 16, which is coming for PlayStation 5 and PC. Um so it looks like it's going to be a PS5 console exclusive. Um although there's been a bit of confusion over wh- whether or not the PC version is going to come immediately or if it's going to come uh sort of a little bit later like it did with Final Fantasy 15 because there's been a uh, sort of a few conflicts between press releases and trailers and so on but uh yeah this is um might really for a few reasons first of all it's uh sort of a, re- a return to final fantasy doing sort of proper fantasy uh for one thing which is very exciting um, i've wanted and two- it since nine yes <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so
1: excited about this <laughs> uh, all i've ever wanted is a proper medieval final fantasy on modern hardware
0: yeah yeah um, and also, I seem to remember seeing the other day that this is this is going to have like a, a piggy eighteen rating, so it's going to be sort of fairly dark and grim. From the sound of things, it certainly um, appears
1: to be from the trailer. There's like heavy, yeah. like there's a heavy like emphasis on like uh, like war, like war story, yeah, uh, like medieval king making, which makes me think of twelve. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm all Twitter about this game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it looks very cool. Um sort of it's a It's actually quite a good trailer because it shows it shows a bit of gameplay, it shows what we can expect from the cutscenes and the character designs. Um yeah, exactly how it's going to play we don't know yet, but it looks as if it's going to have more sort of uh real-time combat uh in the style of what they've been doing with 15 and so on, which uh, 15 and 7 remake. Um, which seems to be the direction they want to kind of move in now with Final Fantasy, which is which is fine. I know some people will always be like, ooh, I want the turn-based combat back," but uh, you know, Final Fantasy has been evolving over the course of all of its installments, and this is this is the direction it's been going for quite a while now. So. Go, um,
1: go play other turn-based games. Turn yeah, FF7 it, is still turn-based. You can get it on literally every device you own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: and, it's, and it's not as if it's not as if there's a shortage of other turn-based games from other developers as well. So, but anyway, yes, the trailer for this is looking very nice. Um, and uh, yeah, this is going to be a, a real showcase game for PlayStation Five, I think. So, looking forward to that. This will be uh, the
1: game that makes me get a PS5. You know, just just as FF. Um, type zero was the game that made me get a ps4 it turns out like that's the thing that makes me finally <laughs> it's like all right there's an ff now i have to buy the console
0: yeah okay uh moving on um ubisoft is bringing back uh the scott pilgrim versus the world game for the 10th anniversary of the series uh so this is going to be scott pilgrim versus the world the game complete edition for switch ps4 xbox one pc and uh stadia (coughs) what
1: what about amazon's new service
0: (laughs) amazon's what (laughs) oh dear um but yeah anyway so this is this is um a complete edition that includes the uh dlc from the original version i actually didn't know existed but um yeah there was dlc that allowed you to play as wallace and knives uh in the old version um so that will be included with the new version um if i remember correctly it sounds like it's going to be digital only but i'd be very 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 surprised if some limited run company doesn't snap this up and say hey look we got scott pilgrim and then people go yes give it to me
1: help me god if there's not a physical pressing of this the whole goddamn point of bringing (laughs) this back back as far as i'm concerned is for there to be a physical pressing of it because it's literally like the greatest like like it's scott pilgrim the game is the game that is my fundamental basis of my argument against digital only content
0: yes (laughs) yes same same that scott pilgrim and afterburner climax are the Mm. the the two games that and maybe outrun outrun 2 for xbox live arcade as well Mm, um but you can you can at least get that uh, sort of for for older platforms as well. But yeah, after Ben Climax and Scott Pilgrim definitely have always been my arguments. It's like, well, no, the digital future isn't that good actually. Um, but yeah, so as you say, as you say, there had better be there had better be a box copy of this at some point, otherwise, so help me, there will be trouble.
1: Well, you, Ubisoft is pretty good with that. Like they mm-hmm. did they did physical pressings of Child of Light which yeah. was just like one of their yeah. like little digital games so uh, i'm not too convinced that they don't know that there's a a demand for it
0: yeah yeah but uh yeah i suspect this will end up being a being a some form of limited run thing uh at some point but no one no one has said anything yet um if i remember correctly there was some sort of uh, sort of knowing eyebrow wiggling from limited run games on twitter yeah. around the time that this was this was announced but uh, but nothing confirmed or anything like that but uh, yeah keep an eye out for that certainly all right uh next up we've got a new pocky and rocky game launching in 2021 um so this is the series also known as kiki kai, kai. um who's this from i can never remember natsumi isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. originally yeah mm-hmm This Uh, is
1: great because it's the same people who did the most the recent reboots of um, uh, Wild Guns and Ninja Warriors again. Yes, yeah, and they do amazing work.
0: Yes, yes. So, so they they do really nice. We talk about enhanced retro a lot, which is sort of sort of games that look like old games, but play like newer games and sort of make use of the tech that wouldn't have been possible in the, the older hardware and so on. So it looks like a 16-bit game, but you can imagine there being sort of a lot of cool stuff flying around the screen, a lot more detail and that kind of thing. So, yeah good to see this coming back because uh, it's it's not not a super well-known series but it's one of those one of those games that sort of you mention it to people and they're like oh yeah i remember that do my
1: classic mid-episode ebay check let's see what copies of pocky and rocky 2 for the super nintendo are going for these <laughs> days Do upwards of three hundred dollars <laughs> oh, here's a here's a com. Oh, oh, good. Here's a complete box copy for twelve thousand nine hundred and ninety nine <laughs> dollars. Do, 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 do. Seven hundred eighty dollars. Oh, All but no instructions. Oh, no <laughs> <Ridiculous>. <laughs> Pocket rocky Two is
0: amazing, <laughs>
1: but not <Ridiculous>. that amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh, it sounds as if this is coming in twenty twenty one um outside of Japan uh we don't know what platforms it's coming to yet but i w- i would imagine that switch is a fair bet um and probably ps4 as well i imagine but uh, but we'll see we'll see so that is that is on the way uh and then last of all um we've got uh nintendo has been sort of going through its, its super mario 35th anniversary celebrations recently so we've had various things come out of that Uh, so there's the the super mario brothers battle royale game just came out on switch so you can download and play that now if you want to um there's the um the compilation of mario 64 mario galaxy and mario sunshine that you can get for switch now as well um oddly enough those two are nintendo claim they are sort of limited release until march of 2021 so i don't know what's going to happen after that and no one really knows and everyone's been a bit angry about that but uh we will have to wait and see i guess um but one of the sort of uh, interesting little things that they announced as part of this is the um the sort of resurrection of the game and watch with a special edition super mario brothers game and watch so it's it's not it's not the same as the as the old school game watches in that it's not a um sort of uh an actual lcd game it's actually got a proper color screen in there and it looks like it's running an emulator that runs super mario brothers um the nes version and it's got uh, an alarm timer and all sorts of little things on there and it, it just looks like a really nice little collectible
1: yeah i'm excited about it I, I want
0: one yeah um it's it's also rechargeable as well so you don't have to um find somewhere that still sells watch batteries for it um <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's actually got experience. a yeah it's actually got a it's actually got a, a rechargeable usb um usb powered battery in there so uh, you can you can get that so that is i think you can pre-order that now can't you um and that's coming out on november the 13th of 2020 so that will be available and again that will be uh pretty limited and collectible so if you want one i would recommend pre-ordering that okay anything else you want to bring up before we move on no
1: i think that's it
0: okay cool well that was that was a fair amount to catch up on but like we say it has been a a little while since we've been able to reconvene so uh those were some things we wanted to to chat about so we'll take a short break now and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been playing recently so we'll see you in a moment Welcome back. For our second segment, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So what have you been up to, Chris? Oh,
1: man, a whole bunch. Mm. Uh, I recently got my hands on Nexomon Extinction, which I feel like is worth talking about. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because we have established in previous episodes my deep love of uh, monster collecting RPGs and and specifically playing ones that aren't Pokemon and kind Mm -hmm. of learning and enjoying about how they may differ from Pokemon. Yep. Uh, and Nexomon Extinction is a really interesting entry in this kind of genre because it's attempting essentially to just be old school Pokemon as much as possible. So if you're the type of Pokemon fan that feels yourself pining for like the days of, I think, very specifically the Game Boy Advance era of Pokemon, uh-huh. yep. then boy oh boy, Nexomon Extinction is the game for you. Yeah. Um, So it's got a bit of an interesting development history. Um, I believe the original Nexomon game was a mobile thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So Nexomon Extinction is kind of a a follow-up to it, but very clearly developed to be a solid console title. So it's very... uh, Just, like, solid. Lots of big world to explore, lots to see and do, plenty of monsters to collect. Um, And it's got some really cool mechanical wrinkles that differentiate it from Pokemon. Mainly... um, you know when you catch a pokemon in the traditional uh, pokemon games you could kind of only do really one or two things to manipulate your ability to catch a monster, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you had to reduce your monster, the monster you're trying to catch health down to a low level. Mm-hmm. Uh And then there were certain negative statuses you could inflict on it, like things like sleep or paralyze that would incl- increase your chances. And then you could use a special Pokeball, right? Like a bug Pokeball to catch a bug Pokebot if you wanted yeah. to like increase that further. So... um nexomon kind of takes that to a different level by adding some additional things you can do um mainly you can give treats to the monsters you're trying to catch so um after you've beaten a monster it gets logged in your like little encyclopedia and then you can see what treats it likes and then you can carry a variety of snacks with you um, so besides you uh, besides reducing their health to make them weary quote unquote um, using a specifically engineered um, nexo trap to catch them like one that's related to their element
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: you can also give them food to try to sway their um, a, their desire to be caught essentially. and in Nexomon what's really interesting is uh, when you're trying to catch a monster before you throw your nexo trap, you can actually bring up a stat screen that shows the likelihood of catching it. So oh, there's, cool. there's there's bars with percentages and then it gives you at the bottom a calculation of how likely that catch is. So if you're not comfortable taking the risk, you can decide not to throw the nexo trap go back throw a couple more treats at it. Uh, reduce its health a little more to try to drive that percentage up. Uh, and then on top of everything, once you throw the Nexo trap, there's a little button-based quick time game. Okay. Um, you know, where you enter a randomized combination of buttons and then successfully doing that will also further increase your chance. So there's a bit more of a feeling of control uh, over your success to catch and a bit more feeling of strategizing there uh, because yeah. you're you're expending items um, and... Um, the traps are expensive um so it's it's a bit in pokemon you could just throw like a hundred pokeballs at one monster right and just like it didn't really matter like eventually one of them was going to hit out of like the 30 you threw and then you could go back to town and buy like a ton more and it didn't really matter but um in nexomon uh traps are uh, kind of rewarded for doing things or they're quite expensive in the store so um it almost feels a-, a tad more significant when you're able to catch a monster. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool and slightly different. Um, some of the other things that are different from traditional Pokemon are... Um, there is no online or multiplayer element. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no trading. Um, so that's kind of interesting because... Um, you know uh, different versions used are part of the pokemon experience also the fact that starter pokemon are never catchable in in the wild in the world right so that was to always create a um a dependency on the idea of trading and breeding so you could breed starters and and socialize with other people um so interestingly enough in nexomon all the trade all the starters are actually just catchable in the wild yeah which is quite nice if you're a completionist like me, you don't have to jump through hoops there's also no evolutions that are tied to trade, which is great for me, uh, because I'm a loner and that was always a pain in the butt in regular Pokemon, um, when I liked a monster and wanted to evolve it, but its evolution was tied to trade, Uh, wink wink Gengar, wink wink Um, but so that's really interesting and, and different. Um, um, the other thing that's kind of interesting, and I don't know if it's for a positive because I don't kind of love it, but uh, monsters' moves are tied to more of like a traditional RPG uh, MP system, uh, stamina. Okay. So, yeah. so uh, in traditional Pokemon, your moves had limited use, right? Like uh, you had Vine Whip. Vine Whip has 10 uses, and then you have to go rest In between to restore those uses. Well, in Nexomon, you've got all four of your moves. They all technically have infinite uses, but they use stamina. Right. So you have, it's just like measuring your magic use in any traditional RPG. Um, but there are no standard attacks like everything uses stamina so you yeah. you have to yeah. really balance that carefully and kind of make a more measured decision about whether or not you're employing your more powerful moves frequently and draining the heck out of your stamina or do you want to just like work with weaker moves and preserve that stamina so you kind of have to make a do a lot of balancing act between like am I in it for the long haul because I'm exploring and covering territory so I have to preserve that stamina or like am I in a boss battle and I just gotta like lay in hard with all my strongest moves so there's a lot of interesting strategic decisions in there that aren't part of the normal Pokemon formula
0: mm-hmm. yeah, sounds cool
1: yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I know I've shared a couple screenshots with you. Uh, quite a few of the monster designs are really endearing. Um, some of them are pure Pokemon ripoffs that make me grouchy, but there are, <laughs> but but there are a couple ones that are really cool. There's like a ghost Pokemon, uh, ghost Nexomon. I'm sorry, that's got like a, <laughs> like a like a like a Grim Reaper aesthetic, and like as he evolves, he gets like bigger and like more imposing, and he gets like a big size and like a robe. It, it's yeah. it's it's cool. There's a couple really neat ones in the mix, so. Uh, I'm enjoying exploring that. Uh, it's world is also very cool uh, in terms of world building and story. Um, because the whole thing's written with a very like tongue-in-cheek uh, sense of humor in regards to like you've played these kind of games before. And you understand mm-hmm. the tropes. And the game understands the tropes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's very cool. It also has a bit of like a post-apocalyptic feel to it. It's actually quite dark mm. in terms of the story. Which is making it really interesting because it's like... Uh, like society, like human society, is kind of on the ropes because like there's giant like Nexomon that are like terrorizing and like destroying things, and um, people are making packs with them and like getting tainted and like becoming evil. And then, like, people will try to, like, make packs with more powerful Nexomon to try to, like, fight the ones that are, like, destroying civilization. But they end up getting tainted and becoming part of the problem. So so there's all kinds of uh, new kind of elements to the story that are not so typical from what you're used to in a Pokemon story. So a lot of reasons to give give this a try.
0: Cool. Yeah, um, I'm glad it sort of lived up to expectations. I know you were looking forward to this for quite a while before it was releasing, so sounds like it's uh, it's delivered.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got you've to take it for what it is, that it's a, yeah. a budget-price-independently-developed Pokemon clone, but uh, everything I've seen and experienced with it has been fairly positive. Um, it does, for anyone who picks it up, have a very high difficulty curve in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you, you do have to be patient, you do have to grind a bit, money is extremely hard to come by until you start getting like income boosting like stat items you can add and stuff but but it's it's worth it if you stick with it you can you can see some really cool stuff and uh, the writing is really fun and you know i've I've gotten a couple of genuine laugh out loud moments from it so
0: (laughs) cool right well anything else you've been up to besides that then
1: yeah i mean a bunch (laughs) it's been it's been a while go for it I, i i i recently acquired um the capcom beat 'em up collection finally oh we so, last yeah yeah so that's been a really good time i've been playing through some of those games with one of my friends um i forgot all about warriors of fate which is uh, capcom's beat-em-up set in the romance of the three kingdoms setting yes so it's been really cool to to kind of give that a try and, and laugh about how like badly like romanized the names were like they don't even <laughs> say like Like i've been trying to figure out who they're supposed to be from my dynasty warriors <laughs> experience based on like their appearance <laughs> and weapon sets but it's just like inscrutable um so that's been really cool i've been enjoying that um i re- i got uh i picked up center and kagura peach ball on a whim because it was on oh, sale yeah. yeah um so that's great because i don't really have any i think the last pinball game i bought was probably Nick on the ps2 yeah so I've been, I've been enjoying playing that. Um, I don't think it's a great pinball game, but it's 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 cute and fun. So I think the tables are kind of not interesting. But um, there's so much going on that it's still really entertaining to play.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, what else? Uh, I've been playing Rainbow Skies a little bit, mm-hmm. which is a, a um, SideQuest Studios sequel to Rainbow Moon, which is essentially a very an attempt by a European developer to make a very Japanese feeling game, yeah. but, it's, but it still feels very Euro in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, so yeah. it's kind of a, an interesting curiosity. Uh, and Rainbow Skies and Rainbow Moon, their big thing is almost a Disgaea style focus on essentially infinite gameplay. Yeah. Just like loads of like things to collect and do, uh, lots of opportunities to improve your characters and collect gear, um, really cool grid based combat system. Um, so it's almost like a strategy RPG in combat, but then you actually do walk around the world, explore, and do side quests like a traditional RPG. So it's kind of a fusion of a lot of interesting elements. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun to visit. Um, I got the uh, the Kingdoms of Amalur remake, which I've been playing a little bit, um, which is essentially everything that made the original Kingdom of Amalur great seven years ago, but... With a improved camera and all the DLC, so that's that's <laughs> been a, that's been a ton of fun because you know I'm sure we've talked about many times like Skyrim has its. Um strengths and weaknesses and one of uh, one of the Elder Scrolls series greatest weakness is that the combat is just so uninteresting that it almost feels yeah. like a burden like combat is the least good part about Elder Scrolls games so it, if you enjoy the open worldness and kind of the plethora of side quests and the exploration of the Elder Scrolls games but you really wish it had combat that was outright fun to play uh, Amalur is certainly worth checking out because it's almost got like a uh, like a arcadey God of War style feel to it yeah um, which has been fantastic um so yeah just ton of good stuff at the tail end of summer right now
0: mm. yeah definitely you see lots of lots of sort of smaller stuff worth worth checking out uh, sort of besides uh, besides the big names definitely cool yeah well I've, I've been playing quite a few different things um i've actually had ended up with a few few more things on the go than i normally like to have on the go at once uh but that's mostly due to the fact that i've been paid to play a couple of them so <laughs> you know what i'm i'm mercenary enough to uh to abandon my principles just for the the uh a bit of a bit of pocket money but anyway even like they, t- they...
1: having you play stuff you would have played anyway <laughs> yes
0: exactly 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 it's just stuff I, I, that i would have played anyway but i just ended up having to get to them a little bit sooner um so the, the 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 two games that i've recently uh, covered over at nintendo life you can find my reviews over there and i'll be writing a bit more about these on moe gaming when i've spent some more time with them um first up we got moero crystal h um which is uh, part of the genkai toki series for um switch um originally playstation vita uh, so it started with um What's it called? Monster Mon Piece, then uh, Moero Crystal. Sorry, Moero Chronicle, then Moero Crystal. And then there's two more after that that haven't been localized yet. But Moero Crystal has just been localized by East Asia Soft and released with a a lovely limited edition and that sort of thing. So this is a uh, dungeon crawler. A very good dungeon crawler uh it's got a sort of monster collecting component to it as well in that um it, you get new characters as part of the story but there are also uh, monster girls who are just wandering around the dungeons as well and you fight them and you rip their clothes off and you poke them until they have an orgasm and then they join your party because that's <laughs> how that's how ecchi games work um <laughs> it's, these games are interesting because the, the
1: monster girls that you can catch like the non-heavy store related monster girls it's almost like the uh, well i always forget you're not a huge etrian odyssey game uh fan but in etrian odyssey there are monsters called foes yes that, that roam the dungeons and you can see them on your map and they're more powerful boss monsters yes and and so Mo- moero the Moero series did was they basically took the concept of the Foe monsters and said, "What what if the Foe monsters, but also you could catch them and make them party members if you yes. challenge them?"
0: Yes, that's it. that's exactly what they do. So, so so sort of you get near one, and you get sort of this tense music in the background. You know that something is lurking around the corner, and you can see it on the map, and you wander into it, and you don't know exactly what you're going to be fighting until you actually run into this symbol on the map. And they'll chase you and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and then you have a, then you have a boss fight against them. And uh, you can you can either just defeat them, in which case they run away uh, and then come back later, um, or you can sort of go through the whole process of actually catching them. Uh, and then you can add them to your party. And there's I, I think 80 of them all together in this game. Um, 50 of them are returning from Moero Chronicle. And then there's 30 new ones, plus, I think, five that were DLC for the Vita original, which you can optionally enable in the uh, Switch version. Um, Because those were DLC characters, they are, um, in order to catch them, they're they're quite difficult battles as well. So they're stuff you'll probably want to tackle a little bit later in the game. Uh, But then they can be very powerful party members as well. So, um... Yeah, this this is a really mechanically solid game. Actually, there is a lot of interesting options for progression, uh, building your party. There's a strong emphasis on um, sort of exploiting weaknesses um, of uh, of the the various enemies, and uh, a lot of equipment customization, all that sort of thing. So it's, it's it's sort of all the all the things you would like out of a really good Japanese dungeon crawler are here in this game, and there's also super cute monster girls. <laughs> yeah
1: as we've talked a little bit outside of the cast but like i have not played crystal yet i just got my copy but i love chronicle i played Mm -hmm. i played chronicle quite a bit and really enjoyed it yeah. I think it's it's a combination of so many things. Like you're saying, like obviously the mechanics are solid. It's a it's a great dungeon crawler with tons to unlock and do. Prog- even when you play it for like 15 minutes, you always feel like you're making some significant progress. Yes, uh, and I think and I think part of that is due to its original nature as a handheld game, yeah. um, And uh, which I really appreciate. It's one of the reasons I like handheld games so much. Is they're always they're always kind of. Pr- uh, created and designed with that kind of notion in mind that you should be able to make a little bit of meaningful progress even in just like a f- 12 to 15 minute play session so yeah. that that's really cool for me with my limited time to play games mm-hmm. um so it's it's just a combination of like the solid mechanics and the and just the the, the good natured, silly, candy coated color. Like it's really it's just yeah. a wholesome fun and like feel good kind of game to play. Cause it's like yeah. it's, it's goofy and it's cute and everybody's nice and it's silly. And I mean, yeah. they need that sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and and Crystal is exactly the same. So uh, I I haven't actually played Chronicle myself yet, but I I believe one of the new additions for Crystal is the fact that each of the characters have um, each of the characters has three dungeons in the deep reaches of their heart um, that you you reach by uh, flying a dick shaped spaceship across their body and <laughs> shooting their clothes off until you find crystals, uh, and then you dive into the crystal and there's a, there's a dungeon inside them, and um, the the three dungeons there's there's one that will give the character a character specific unique skill that is just for that character. Um, there's one that will, um, one that will allow you to equip their bra and panty separately instead of as a set, uh, which is actually quite important because, uh, because, um, I think the, uh, I can't remember which way around it is, but it's a, uh, one of them determines their skill loadout and the other one determines their stats. Mm. Um, so if you can mix and match those, you can really sort of customize the characters a bit further and sort of build them into a tank or a mage or a, a, a melee damage dealer or that sort of thing. Um. And then the third one allows you to get their uh, relationship value up to the maximum as well. So, And the nice thing about those dungeons is, as you say, all of those dungeons are really short form. They're like a single floor. They take about 10-15 minutes to get through, but you feel like you've had a worthwhile experience because there's some useful treasures in there. Uh, there's some monsters to fight to get some experience. There's often some story scenes you can find out a bit more about the characters and uh, yeah, it, it just means that if you're if you're just playing casually, like if you just want to crawl a few dungeons while you're watching telly before you go to sleep or something like that, which is what I've been doing with this this game while I'm playing other stuff. Yeah, you can you can crawl a few of those dungeons, and you've made some meaningful, useful progress in the game rather than just sort of twiddling your thumbs and getting on with it. So yeah, that's that's a really good aspect of this game's design okay uh other thing i've been playing is actually another dungeon crawler uh, called undead darlings no cure for love this is a game that has been in development for about five years they did a kickstarter back in 2015 uh that i uh, originally backed the original kickstarter Uh, Which failed, unfortunately, Uh, but they were determined to make it happen because there there were enough people out there who were interested in the concept of the game, uh, but just unfortunately not enough to actually throw some money at them. So they've been the people behind them, who is a Western developer called Mister Tired Media, who um, is sort of their their mission is to make Japanese style games, but despite the fact that they're a Western developer. Uh, so they carried on working on this, and eventually they managed to team up with Sekai Games to to publish the final product, and that is now finally available after five years. So the concept of Undead Darlings is that um, it's it's a zombie apocalypse. Uh, but the twist on the usual formula is that some of the zombies have managed to maintain their human hearts, uh, and these are your party members. So the first one is your, your childhood friend who comes in through the window, reveals the fact that she's a zombie, but oh no, don't kill her because she can still talk and that sort of thing and um the aim of the game is basically you you get you get a cure uh for the zombie virus right at the beginning of the game but not enough to be able to do anything useful with so you spend the entire game trying to track down the protagonist's father who is who may have been behind the whole zombie virus outbreak but also knows how to um how to put the cure together um and what then follows is a series of uh really interesting and complex dungeons to explore uh with a very uh, a very cool combat system that's based on sort of building up multipliers and um exploiting weaknesses to build up this multiplier and then unleashing much more powerful attacks uh, and then as you crawl the dungeons there are various sub events you can find where you learn a bit more about the characters you interact with them you build up your affinity with them um, and then apparently there's there's nine different endings to the game as well. I haven't wow. reached any of them yet, but uh, there are nine different endings according to the combination of uh, of events that you've seen and choices that you've made and all that sort of thing. And like a single playthrough is like thirty five to fifty hours or so um wow. so yeah this is a really substantial game like uh when when i first saw this i, I like really liked the concept and i thought oh this is this is going to be like a visual novel with a sort of throwaway dungeon crawler a bit but no 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 this is a really solid dungeon crawler that just happens to have a little bit of visual novel style storytelling in there
1: that's exciting because i definitely expected the same thing of it mm. i mean i've been following this game for a while um yeah. this game this game has been in the cooker so long that i was an active kotaku reader when i first <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when i first found out about it so that should give you an idea of how long i've been following it
0: oh dear yeah yeah but yeah it, it's come out it's come out really really well um I'm, I'm really pleased that they've sort of realized all of the things that they wanted to do with this and they've made a really really solid game out of this um so at the moment it is digital only but um the the developer seems quite keen to um to talk to some of the limited press houses about it so hopefully that will happen at some point because this this is a game that I think was in the cooker so long i i want to show it the respect of sort of having a a permanent copy on my shelf for sure absolutely and but yeah it's it's a really great game i was really impressed with how well it came out the only slightly weak aspect for me is the voice acting i mean it's 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 not bad or anything but it's it's one of those games where you've got this incredibly japanese looking appearance with very sort of authentic anime style artwork and then you've got really 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 american voices and it just kind of clashes a bit for me Can you turn it off yeah you can you can turn it off and you you can actually you can actually turn the voices off independently of the sound effects and the battle voices and so on so if you if you still want to have like battle call outs and stuff which i do i'm quite happy with those it's just the actual dialogue doesn't quite feel right for me um yeah you can do that so obviously obviously the, the 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 people behind that have sort of borne that in mind as they've got feedback from like beta testers and so on uh and they've yeah that option is in there which is which i was really pleased about um the writing in the game is really really good it's very very witty and uh sort of a, a bit self-aware but it manages to pull that off without that sort of obnoxious layer of dripping everything in irony that a lot mm. of western games do so it's it, it's got it's got really good natured humor about it it's one of those games where it's sort of it's sort of aware of some of the tropes. a bit like you were talking about with Nexamon. Uh, so yeah. it's aware of some of the trapes it doesn't sort of It doesn't sort of make sarcastic comments about them, but it's it sort of acknowledges them, and um, it sort of clearly regards all its characters very fondly. They're all very interesting characters who have their own uh, sort of interesting backstories to discover over the course of the game, and uh, yeah, it's it's really great, really great.
1: it's funny how much of a slippery slope that kind of writing is because it's a it's a a terrible gamble right like when it's done well i love it like i was literally just saying about how much i enjoyed it in nexomon like nexomon has me laughing constantly yeah but like remember when we talked about indivisible like i found the writing in indivisible unbearable because it tried so hard to do this but it was just so like twee and like not like it wasn't funny it didn't do a good job of it i i i'm having trouble contextualizing exactly why in words but like its humor just fell so flat with me that it was like trying too hard and it didn't feel like it kind of belonged in the world they were trying to build yeah Mainly because like the jokes start pouring in like immediately after your village is burned to the ground and you like just <laughs> yeah. witnessed the death of your father <laughs> and yeah. it's and it's like immediately like like let's make jokes <laughs> but, but, but like nexo i don't know like nexomon's like dumb and it knows it's dumb so (laughs) eh, i don't know yeah it's it's, it's tough to uh, comedy is so so difficult and it's really hard hmm. to isolate what makes for successful comedy and what doesn't
0: yeah i I think i I think for me what what makes undead darlings work is that it's sort of it's sort of set in in a well I say a contemporary environment but it's obviously what what would happen to the modern world if there was a zombie apocalypse so so it is a modern setting so sort of modern humor doesn't feel tonally dissonant with the setting is one thing all of the characters are sort of between the age of like sort of about seventeen and twenty-two or so. Uh, so, so they they all talk like young people and they make jokes with each other like young people do. <laughs> Listen to me sound like an old man. But like this, there's, there's, a, there's a lengthy, <laughs> there's a lengthy sequence where there's there's a, a wonderful sequence of that's what she said jokes and they just pull it off so perfectly. Um, I, I was I was just really impressed that they managed to pull off like such such an obvious joke, but they're all they're all in on it and it just works so well. Um, but uh yeah it's 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 written from people who are aware of anime tropes and that sort of thing and a a lot of the characters initially seem to embody anime tropes but then as you progress uh you get a a lot more insight into the depth of the characters and who these people really are and what their life was before they turned into zombies and what the protagonist life was like before all this happened and so on so yeah, it's, it's really obviously been thought through and genuinely well written. So, yeah. Yeah, check that out for sure.
1: Yeah, I'll look forward to it. I have been yeah. looking forward to it for a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, same here, same here. Um, but yes, it is it is now out on Switch and PC and... Is it on PS4 as well? Let me just check.
1: I don't know. There's some cute girls in it. It might, it might not no, have you, made
0: no but you don't you don't see their pants at any point so it's probably all right um yes it is out on ps4 as well so um 25 quid well worth that for the amount of game you get there certainly okay um i think that's all i want to talk about for the minute because there's a, a bunch of stuff that we'll be talking about in the third segment uh, that i've sort of been revisiting or um sort of trying for the first time recently um so we will leave that part here for now unless there's anything else you want to bring up
1: No, I think that's good. I think that's the the breadth of most of what's been sucking my time lately.
0: Cool, good stuff. All right, we'll take a short break then, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about 3D arcade races. So we'll see you in a moment. welcome back for our third segment today we're going to talk about 3d arcade races now rather than doing like a comprehensive rundown or a a historical exploration of these um i thought since this is this is a genre that chris isn't super familiar with all i'm going to do is i'm just going to talk about some of the games that i've enjoyed over the years a few uh recent discoveries um that that i've sort of found out about in preparation for this episode and some stuff that i've liked for a long time so uh like I said at the start, I think of this as a, as a sort of cultured exchange, almost a bit like when Chris talked about his love for uh, monster collecting RPGs a while back and uh, sort of educated me a bit on some of those that I wasn't familiar with. Today, I'm going to talk a bit about these so we're thinking specifically of 3d arcade races we've done an episode on vanishing point races before the old school sprite based ones uh, but this is we're talking about uh 3d arcade races that use uh, polygonal graphics so um stuff from like things like virtue racing and stuff onwards and um, the main reason i thought that it would be worth talking about this right now um is the really the recent release of a game called inertial drift which uh, was published by P-Cube and made by an, um, I think they were an Irish developer, Northern Irish. Let me check, because you don't want to get Irish and Northern Irish mixed up because they get angry. Um, um,
1: well, this looks great.
0: Yeah, this is this is this is a super cool game. It's it's sort of been in the. Um, in the works for a little while it's got a very sort of uh 90s neon aesthetic so it's it's sort of drenched in purple in neon colors and that sort of thing it's got a fair amount of inspiration from ridge racer type 4 uh, as well um in that it's uh, it's got a sort of story mode that that runs through it so there's dialogue sequences and that sort of thing oh uh, Stomp- i need this now <laughs> Uh, strong emphasis on, on drift racing and so on and it's got a soundtrack that is heavily inspired by this sort of acid jazz type stuff that namco did in the late 90s as well so um the big twist in this though is that um from the very start they wanted to kind of um reinvent the idea of the arcade racer a little bit and what they've done in this is rather than having a conventional control scheme yeah, uh, it's a twin sticks control scheme, so this is not a racing game designed to be played with a steering wheel or anything like that. This is a game designed to be played with two sticks. So your left stick is technically your steering wheel, but basically that's just for small adjustments in terms of the direction you're going. The main thing you use in this game is the right stick, which determines your car's drift angle. So basically, in order to throw your car into a drift in this game, all you do is you just push the right stick left or right, and it will basically make your car go sideways to varying degrees. And the different cars in the game have different ways of uh, handling that. So some cars will drift more if you let off the accelerator. Some cars will drift more if you actually slam on the brakes. Some cars will drift more if if you put the accelerator down while you're drifting around the corner. So part of learning this game is learning how the different cars work and how they implement this twin stick mechanic. Um, And it's really nice because it's it's really, really, really easy to pick up. Uh, If you think of if you think of games like Ridge Racer, drifting is core to games like Ridge Racer. But each each Ridge Racer handles drifting slightly differently, and when you're first starting to play that game, you have to learn those different techniques, and it's it's a little bit tricky to do, and a a bit tricky to explain to new players and that sort of thing. Whereas inertial drift, it's a case of if you want to drift around the corner to the left, you push left on the right stick. (laughs) <laughs> physical um, copies
1: confirmed
0: oh yeah yeah i've got i've got a switch copy right here so it's lovely oh. the the switch the switch version doesn't run brilliantly um it's uh, but it, it, it runs well enough to sort of be worthwhile um if you want sort of full 60 frames per second performance you'll probably want to pick up the the ps4 or the pc versions but the, the switch version is perfectly acceptable um but yeah so this um like i say this was an attempt to kind of both revitalize and reinvent the arcade racer after it's it's a genre that's kind of lain mostly dormant since the middle of the seventh generation or so because in more recent years uh sim racers have been a lot more fashionable so stuff like forza motorsport uh Assetto Corsa, gran turismo and all that sort of thing those have been very fashionable there have been a couple of outliers like microsoft forza horizon series is kind of kind of in between and it's it, it's a sim racer with more arcadey elements and some of the need for speed games are a bit like that as well but the actual sort of pure arcade racer is not something that's been really explored a great deal since middle of the xbox 360 and ps3 generation but yeah so it's it's, it's really nice to see uh, a developer specifically uh, specifically trying to bring this back um for a new audience because often when this happens you, you see these new games and then you get other people going oh maybe maybe i'll have a go at that as well so we could well be looking at a sort of um a, a, a resurgence in the uh in the arcade racer genre which will be oh. very pleasant to see we've we already saw sort of the horizon
1: chaser yeah
0: exactly horizon chase sort of bringing back bringing back vanishing point races and so on um and then um so people like level 91 entertainment is the studio behind this and they are northern irish not irish like i say make sure you get that right uh, i believe this was funded by some sort of um northern irish cultural grant as well um which is uh, quite an interesting thing but uh, yeah it seems to be very well received so far both by press and public so i hope it does well for them this is published by p cube as well so p cube have been pushing this quite a bit recently and we it love p cube here um, so
1: it also needs to be said that it has a lovely soft cell shaded aesthetic and the cars look very reminiscent of auto modelista yes they have a very toy like comic book style to them like they're not real cars right they're fake cars ridge racer style and they all have like a a very modular retro future maserati kind of this looks like it could turn into a robot toy look to them yes yes very much it's delightful
0: yes very much so so like the whole thing with this game is is going for a very 90s look so rather rather than sort of the fashionable 80s kind of vaporwave look this is this is very specifically 90s that it's got going on so it's still got um sort of the the purple neon thing that a lot of people associate with vaporwave and stuff but like i say the the soundtrack in this game is very reminiscent of 90s namco um so, so sort of a very funk inspired electronic dance music um, it's got things like sort of the the trails on the headlights and the taillights on the road and that sort of thing and motion blur and that sort of thing so it's very 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 heavily stylized elements of ridge racer type 4 elements of auto modelista lovely looking game a lot of fun looking forward to diving into it a lot deeper
1: yeah i'll be ordering the, this today
0: yeah definitely there's also a demo on steam if you want to try it for yourself as well i don't think there's a demo for the console versions but there is a demo on steam called sunset prologue that i covered on moe gamer a few weeks back so uh if you're not sure about it check that out first okay so like i say, this this it was the release of this game uh that's kind of inspired me to want to talk about this but i've I've been a big fan of this type of racing game and indeed vanishing point races pretty much since um virtue racing which is the 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 first one i want to talk about so virtue racing first came out in 1992 um i first played it in the arcades i think and then i played the mega drive version the mega drive version was an astonishing technical achievement um in many ways because it 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 was almost almost as good as the arcade version and it was also a mega drive game that was sort of quietly pushing 3d around a lot more efficiently than the super nes was doing with the super fx chip as well but it was also a game that cost about 90 quid (laughs) 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 because it it came with this massive cartridge with all this custom hardware inside it and so it was very expensive to get a mega drive version of it so i I never actually owned a copy but um my brother at the time was working on a mega drive magazine and so he would often come home laden with games and one of those was virtue racing for the mega drive so this wasn't the first polygonal 3d arcade racer so namco beat it with winning run in 1988 and, and atari did hard driving in 1989 but this is the one that's kind of really stood the test of time a lot better uh just because it's it's a, a really again it's a game that's really simple to pick up and understand um because it's an evolution of what yu suzuki was doing with his earlier super scaler games so Yu Suzuki, with games like OutRun and Afterburner and Space and that sort of thing, he was already simulating um, 3D by putting 2D sprites in a virtual 3D space and then using the Superscaler tech to sort of move that around. So Virtua Racing was his first attempt to take that to the next level and bring things into true 3D. So the gameplay is still really simple. It's still left, right, accelerate, maybe, maybe let go of the accelerator on super tight corners. But it's, it's really easy to understand. It's a, it's a racing game that anyone can pick up and play. Anyone can have a bit of fun with. Um, but it takes a lot of practice to master. The arcade version only has three tracks. But it will take you quite a while to even be able to finish a race on one of those tracks. But Just because it, you, you've got the sort of traditional racing game. Time limit in there. You've got to try and get to the front of the pack. So structurally, it's very traditional um, arcade racer now one of the things i want to talk about today is that the the arcade racer genre has really evolved a lot over time um and i know you're not a big fan of games with time limits for one thing yeah and one of racing
1: the... games time yeah. makes sense like, yeah. that's different i don't like rpgs with time
0: limits. yeah but I, but i mean there, there there is still there is still sort of a distinct feel between a racing game with timers and checkpoints and a racing game that is just about racing and that is that is one of the things that has changed quite a bit over the years um, and you'll see that as, as we look at some of the games that we, we talk about today. So Virt- virtue Racing is, is a good starting point. And it's a fantastic Switch version of this in the Sega Ages collection. So if you've never played Virtua Racing, the Switch version is absolutely wonderful. There's also a good version on PS2 as part of the um, Sega Classics collection that was the compilation of the Sega Ages games for PS2 as well. So several ways you can play that now. So I think my... I sort of really developed my love affair for these days with um, the obvious one, which is Ridge Racer. Of course. Uh, And Ridge Racer was the first game that I played on the PS1 and it was sort of the the thing that convinced me that sort of games had taken a significant step forward. Uh, Because at at that point I'd been used to sort of mostly playing on the Super NES and maybe a bit of stuff on the PC as well, but Ridge Racer on PS1 was spectacular at the time it was sort of high speed there was lots of stuff going on on screen there was no real slowdown it moved at a sort of consistent frame rate um and it was it was exciting and enjoyable uh, and new and although i recognized that there were um sort of limitations to that in that ridge racer for ps1 was a very straight port of the arcade game in that there was no real sort of long-term structure to it it was it was a game that you could pick up and play um once you learned the drift mechanic you could sort of then start chasing times and so on. so the the longevity in that game was very much what you made of it but um yeah it was it was enjoyable and i think um ridge racer is one of the games that started to highlight um what i think is my core appeal element for uh, arcade races so out of interest as someone who's not super into this kind of game what what do you think is is kind of the the, the core appeal of this kind of game
1: like in terms of like arcade racers versus like other racing games like a, as, as like a sub-genre or uh,
0: just 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 generally really i i mean i mean yeah yes in comparison to sim races as well why, why would someone pick up an arcade racer in in your opinion what do you think i'm just well, I, I curious to, to me, hear this
1: To me, because I do enjoy arcade racers, even though Mm -hmm. I'm not, like, super knowledgeable about them, it's because of accessibility, right? So,
0: like,
1: like, when I just mentioned with Inertial Drift, I was excited because it didn't have real cars. Yeah. Like, I'm not a car guy. I don't... Mm -hmm. I'm not a motorhead. I don't care about cars. Car culture doesn't interest me. Car brands don't interest me. So I love a racing game that doesn't have real cars because it means I can not have to care about the cars i just have to care about like the thrill of the driving and like yep. the, the, f- the fun of the driving um and it's the same you know as i don't like the sim racers because of that right like i don't really want to care so much about like having to understand cars and yep. hand and handling and tune-ups and parts and tire grip and and mm-hmm. All that stuff. I don't care about like realistically created in-driver view console panels. Yep. Like, like I, I just want what is essentially an exaggerated, cartoony version of the thrill of driving at high speeds that I can yep. that I can pick up and play, have a bit of fun, accidentally flip a three hundred thousand dollar car, <laughs> la- la- laugh about it yep. while like smooth jazz plays. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that, like, so to me, that's what like arcade racers are. It's, it's, it's a fun way for someone like me who's curious and occasionally interested in the idea of driving at high speeds and how fun that can be, but separated and accessible in a place where I don't have to care or be knowledgeable about cars or driving to yeah. have a fun experience with it. Mm
0: mm-hmm. does
1: does that make a ton of sense yeah
0: absolutely that's 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 perfect that's 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 one of the reasons that i i am so drawn to this kind of game the the other sort of core appeal for me is that um a good example of an arcade racer for me is that it's a it's a theme park ride yeah yeah A, a good arcade racer for me is is something that takes you on a high speed thrilling exciting journey through an interesting environment where you can, you sort of have a bit of time to admire the environment as it goes past. There's weird things happening. There's like helicopters grazing the top of your skull. There's uh, there's sort of tunnels to go through that really emphasise this feeling of speed. There's physically improbable banked corners and maybe loop the loops and stuff like that in some games. And yeah, for for, for me, my favourite arcade races are the ones that allow me to go on an exciting thrill ride. Mm-hmm. And although. Um, although some sim races do provide a certain element of that with their high-speed cars and so on, they are so rooted in sort of tedious realism that you, you can't do things like go sideways around corners and so on. You can't sort of flip up onto two wheels or flip your car over and expect to finish the race and that sort of thing. And that's that's for me part, part of the part of the reason those games aren't as fun for, for me personally is is because you like you say you have to think too much about how cars work <laughs> yeah
1: and I, it's the same you know we've mentioned about sports games many times like, i don't yeah. care for modern sports games yeah because i don't really want to play a realistic uh, portrayal of football or baseball i want a distillation of what makes football or baseball fun yeah obscured by mechanics and made with fun in mind not yes. made with realism in mind
0: yes so, Yes, this, this is one thing that I've, I've sort of said a fair bit on the Atari A to Z series when I've been looking back at some of the sports games on the 2600 even. Like, I actually like a lot of those sports games a lot more than I expected to because, specifically because they don't really resemble the sports in question. For sure. Um, it, because they're designed as video games that sort of have a passing resemblance to those sports. They, they end up being a lot more fun than... Um, like anything from like madden on the mega drive onwards i just don't get because it it requires a baseline level of understanding of a sport that i just don't have and don't care to have so um yeah and it's as you say it's, it's the same with these arcade races you don't need to know how a car works you don't even really need to know how physics work in a lot of cases you just need to know how the game works and you have fun with it and like ridge racer is a really solid example of that because like cars don't work like they do in ridge racer like if you turn around a, if you turn around a corner let go of the accelerator and then put the accelerator down again it, your car doesn't go sideways in most cases <laughs> but in ridge racer that is how the mechanics work that it, once you've learned that mechanic you can master that you can make use of that mechanic to have fun and to enjoy this thrill ride to enjoy this theme park ride through these different environments and a lot of the games that i've enjoyed over the years very much have that in mind one of the more obscure ones that i want to mention um came out a couple of years after the original ridge racer and it's a game called screamer um which uh, came out in 1995 for pc and it is one of the most blatant ridge racer rip offs i've ever seen um it was i don't know if they specifically marketed it as ridge racer for pc because they probably wouldn't have got away with it but right. they they certainly came pretty close to saying for that and certainly all the reviews at the time said things like this is the closest you're going to get a ridge racer on your pc um but but screamer had all of these things that i'm talking about here so it has these tracks that sort of have it take you through interesting environments you're sort of riding through the mountains and going through tunnels and sort of speeding through city streets and so on it's got an over enthusiastic in, in the background just like uh ridge racer has um and uh I believe it's. I believe it was developed by an Italian developer. I think. I think they're Italian. Uh, they're called Graffiti Studios. Um, and so there's there's sort of a slight, a very very slight element of broken English in there, uh, oh. which makes which makes it very very endearing. And in fact, the the reason that I've named this episode what it is is because of one of the call-outs in Screamer, uh, which is when you have a tight corner coming up, the announcer goes, "Break for the Snake." No. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> which is just amazing um but yeah scream it scream it is great um graffiti studios as far as i'm aware they uh, they promptly made three sequels for screamer and then disappeared off the face of the planet but huh. um screamer was very much a uh, let's let's call it an homage to ridge racer and then its subsequent ones were very much homages to sega rally as well so okay. um and this was actually quite important at the time because um at the time this came out 1995 the pc market and the console market was still quite separate and so there was very much a call for ridge racer on pc because because the official ridge racer was never going to come to pc because it was a playstation franchise it's not like today where everything that comes out on consoles pretty much comes out on pc as well and so screamer for people who were primarily gaming on ms dos pcs at the time this is this is the closest they were going to get to that arcade style experience and it did a really good job of recreating that arcade style experience it's not quite as slick as ridge racer is in a lot of ways uh but it, i was gonna say but,
1: is it sexy because yeah. part of the reason i like ridge racer is i don't even know how to describe it why or how but ridge racer is sexy ridge <laughs> yeah. racer scream. is always sexy
0: scream is not sexy scream has got a sort of slightly um i don't know what the right word for it's it, it, it's rough around the edges but in a sort of in sort of endearing way it's you can tell what they're trying to do and they don't quite accomplish it but they come pretty close and it's a valiant effort and you have to kind of respect it for that um but no it's it's not sexy it has incredibly cheesy uh sort of um cock rock music in the background that is sort of unlicensed um sort of composed specifically for it but it's it's sort of really charming in a sort of way in that sort of way um but yeah it's it, it's for me one of the defining games uh of my love of arcade races was having screamer because i i had ridge racer on the playstation i wanted more until more ridge racer was a thing i could play screamer on my pc and have a similar experience from it um now um another one that i know uh, you wanted to bring up was one called speed devils uh, on dreamcast so yeah uh, Tell me a bit about your past experience with this, then.
1: I I don't even know how much I can really speak to Speed Devils, right? Mm -hmm. Because Speed Devils was developed by Ubisoft Montreal, and it was one of those games where, like, I was young, and, like, the Dreamcast was new, and I got it on... uh, I picked it up on a Lark. Like, someone had... uh, It was, like, EB Games, right? Like, before GameStop or whatever. They would sometimes do, like, publisher deals, yeah. Where it would be like Ubisoft games, like three for ninety nine ninety nine, and like I remember getting it just like as part of one of those weird deals. And like I've never, a huge racer guy uh, ever, but it, it looked clearly arcadey, right? Um, yeah. Because I loved, when I was a kid on the N64, the Cruisin' series, Midway's mm-hmm. Cruisin' series. And I remember looking at the screenshots and being like, I- "I'm in the mood for a driving game. This looks like a goofy arcadey driving game, just with the Dreamcast hardware, the power, of, you know, at the time, like the power of one one twenty eight bit. Like I've yeah. got to have it. And like, so that's what it is, really. It's just an evolution of that specific type of 3D racing game, set in what is the delightful like." Crappy grittiness of like early two thousands cool,
0: yep. Like oh, a
1: a devil with sunglasses on, and (laughs) and, like and like everything's like grungy and like brown and gray and like um, it's just got like an irreverent like kind of punky attitude about it that I find kind of cool from a stylistic perspective Mm -hmm. but like literally otherwise it's just a solid arcade racer with unrealistic physics and fun high speed stuff and you know the the environments are like you were saying like like amusement park rides like there's one where like a ufo chases you for a bit and i think the final level you're like avoiding a tornado that's ripping like ripping the track apart as you play like it's just a dumb arcade racer but it's really well it's really well made and it plays great on the dreamcast and it was just something fun and arcadey i could break out when my friends came over
0: yeah yeah um i played speed devils a fair bit back in the day as well on dreamcast and and that element of having friends over was was very important to the appeal for it because it's one of those games that alongside soul caliber that we played a lot together and so I have some very fond memories of that game, of, of just racing with friends through these various tracks and enjoying it and getting drunk and just having stupid races. And no one really cared who won or not. It was just a lot of fun to play. Um, but I, I, as you say, um, as you quite rightly brought, brought up, this is one of those games that really sort of made me think in my mind of, of this theme park ride aspect. Because the game starts with some relatively normal levels but as you progress you get variations on those levels that have these interactive scenery elements which is kind of a step beyond what stuff like ridge racer was doing with things like the 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 helicopter flying over the track and so on in this one it was actually affecting how the course uh, was put together so there was a hollywood level for example where the later variation was hollywood disaster so as you were driving around this level there were earthquakes going on there were buildings collapsing you were driving through a movie set and there was like sort of a shark would jump out of the water at you and stuff like that and it was it was just as you were playing it you're like yes I'm, I'm having a really fun time with this and it's not just because i'm driving a fast car it's because cool things are happening as well putting um, that
1: fast car in danger that's an yeah. important that's, yeah. that's also an important <laughs> element of the arcade racer right that you were driving a a fast hundred thousand dollar vehicle and you're probably gonna flip it and destroy it but then like a screen's just gonna reset everything's right again and you can go and
0: yeah 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 actually i'm glad you said that because this that's a nice segue into some of the stuff i want to talk about next so um i want to talk a bit about burnout uh but but before i talk about burnout i want to talk about a game called thrill drive have you ever heard of this i have not Right thrill drive was a Konami game from nineteen eighty nineteen ninety eight beg your pardon uh, and no one seems to have heard of this. Um, I believe it had a fairly limited release in the arcades. I think it was bigger in Japan than anywhere else. It did get a limited release in both North America and Europe and I know this because when I was at university, there was a thrill drive machine in our university bar um and thrill drive is a game. Uh, In which you pick a car From a selection that includes uh, Small cars, medium cars, a large truck And a school bus Uh, And then you drive along And you try and complete a race And when you crash into something uh, You get this horrifying loud Digitized scream bursts forth from the machine And terrifies (laughs) you Um, But you also get a little cutscene Of the crash of your car flipping over And does all this sound quite familiar yet? (laughs) Yeah
1: uh, I don't think I've ever played this but so, apparently uh, three of them.
0: Yes. So, the the interesting thing with Thrill Drive is that it came out in 1998 and it's it's burnout. Um it is burnout before burnout. And okay. n- no one who talks about burnout tends to acknowledge this game because it had such a limited release because it's so relatively unknown. But you play it, uh which is a bit of a big ask these days because mame does not like Thrill Drive. Um <laughs> It is burnout it is it is absolutely what burnout was doing uh, right down to some of the later ones having like a monetary value for your crash appearing on the screen um but yeah it's it, it's it, it's an interesting game that i remember having a bit of fun with back in the university bar as i say it's an absolute nightmare to get emulated properly in MAME these days so it's not something that you can easily play today but i did want to acknowledge it before we talk about burnout because sure. it, it, it was basically it's arguably the reason that burnout exists probably um so burnout burnout Uh, first burnout came out in 2001 um and it was primarily intended to be a showcase for the renderware engine and a deliberate contrast from sim races because around about 2001 stuff like gran turismo and stuff was kind of at the height of its popularity yeah and i
1: remember i worked in game retail during like the gran turismo yeah like Like, people looking at me like I had murdered their best friend if I told them I didn't own any Gran Turismo (laughs) games on my PS2. Like, which Gran Turismo is your favorite? And my response would be Ridge Racer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so Burnout was um an example of a much earlier time when the arcade racer or people developing arcade racers felt that this type of game should make a bit of a comeback and push back against these sim racers because not everyone enjoyed the sim racers as we know uh, not everyone was into the idea of realistic driving some people still wanted that thrill ride some people still wanted the experience of putting expensive cars in danger <laughs> um and so and, and so burnout was uh, a, an attempt to provide that it was in terms of its structure and design it's very traditional arcade racer it's very very traditional japanese arcade racer i would say in fact despite being developed by criterion it's very uh very traditional japanese style arcade racing so you have got timers and checkpoints you got a very high level of difficulty um, and you've got extremely unforgiving mechanics so if you look back to sort of the very earliest arcade races things like pole position and stuff from namco in pole position if you clip something you will explode into a ball of flame and you'll probably uh, find it very difficult to finish the race if you crash more than once and it's exactly the same in burnout in burnout burnout became known for its sort of over-the-top elaborate crash scenes but at the same time if you crash too much in burnout you would not finish the race you would not have enough time to finish the race and it emphasized that fact by doing things like it changed the soundtrack if you crashed more than like three or four times on a track it would change the music for the track to something that was a lot more sort of dramatic and intense and so on that was actually something that thrill drive did before as well um this is a further evidence that burnout was probably inspired by thrill drive but yeah the original burnout is weirdly weirdly hardcore compared to its later installments Um, and so it's probably not a game that i would recommend people make their first stop when trying to check out arcade races because it's very unforgiving it's very difficult it's quite rewarding when you learn those tracks and you figure out how to do things but what what the burnout series did is that it, it, it evolved over time it became more forgiving became more accessible and so if you look at burnout 2 for example Burnout 2 is structurally very similar to Burnout 1. It's still got the countdown timers, it's still got the checkpoints, it's still got the -the over-the-top crashes, but it's just a little bit more forgiving. So, like, in Burnout 1, if you clip another car on the road, you will go into one of those elaborate crash sequences. In Burnout 2, you can get away with sort of trading a bit of paint with people around you. And just that little difference there just makes it a whole lot more accessible and a whole lot more enjoyable. Um, And so I I think Burnout 2 is probably, probably my favourite Burnout. For that reason, because it's got that good balance between that traditional Japanese-style arcade racing and uh, the more over-the-top side, which became a distinctly Western thing, um, and so that's a really nice balance between them. Burnout Three is where the series started um, started its emphasis on uh, sort of more full-contact racing, and so Burnout Three uh, Burnout Three was subtitled Takedown. And so burnout three is where uh you were a lot more encouraged to actually slam into other cars and knock them into things and push them off the road and that sort of thing so and this became um quite a defining aspect of western arcade races from that point onwards because burnout three was so successful and so well received a lot of other western arcade races became more about aggressive racing and over dramatic crashes and that that sort of thing so Burnout Three then led on to stuff like Split Second, which we'll talk a little bit about later on, um, and also um, sort of the last mainline Ridge Racer game, uh, which is Ridge Racer Unbounded. Um, Ridge Racer Unbounded was developed by Bugbear, who had previously done the Flat Out series, which again was a series of sort of very full contact racing with sort of smashing into each other and that kind of thing. And Ridge Racer Unbounded was very much that side of thing, which a lot of long-standing Ridge Racer fans disliked because it, fe- it felt kind of, it felt kind of like the antithesis of old Ridge Racers. But it definitely has its own appeal, um, and it, it, it definitely fulfills that sort of thrill ride uh, side of things that, that I'm talking about there. But yeah, Burnout Three was a, a, a real turning point for arcade racers. It's still fun, um, and the subsequent Burnout, so Burnout whatever the one on xbox 360 is called and then burnout paradise um both build on that formula in various ways uh burnout paradise uh takes it to open world which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment um but yeah the the burnout series in general is is an interesting showcase series on showing how much this genre has kind of evolved and split off in various different directions over the years um so you you say you've played a bit of burnout paradise as well uh, yeah, I do. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I
1: have, I have like, the enhanced, complete edition of Burnout Paradise on the PS4, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I just one day I felt like playing a racing game, and I had never, you know, as we've touched on here, like, racing games have never been a huge thing for me, but I've always been uh, keenly interested in the notion of more modern racing games with open world elements. Yes. Like, I love this idea of just being able to, like, drive around and, like, s- s- maybe do missions but maybe just drive around in cool cars so Mm -hmm. so these kind of open world racing games i'd never played one prior um so when this kind of enhanced version of burnout paradise became available i I picked it up and i've had quite a bit of fun with it um mainly because of the arcadey elements right like it's not super simmy so like i can take burnout paradise as seriously as i want to take it yeah if i want to go for like a a a chill coastal drive i can but if i also want to look for sick jumps and like send a pickup truck hurtling off like a hundred foot cliff into a (laughs) into a road sign like i can also do that like it's just a playground for driving stupid yeah and and that's something i used to always do in grand theft auto But what's delightful about Burnout Paradise is it's the freedom of doing that without having the repercussions of, like, people to hit, being everywhere, and and consequences for your actions. So, it's just just a fun place where I can drive stupid, uh, like, try to flip myself off over the side of a suspension bridge, and then uh just drive my like steaming rack into a garage give the guy a couple bucks have it repainted and do it again (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah perfect i'm glad you mentioned that because this this leads me on to talking about what is kind of a distinct subgenre of 3d arcade races it's uh for a while it looked like this this was the sole direction that 3d arcade races were going to go but the open world 3d arcade racer is very much a thing Um, and it has been for quite a long time actually it has been since about the ps2 era um so i think need for speed underground 2 was probably the first one that i was aware of i don't know if that was actually the first one that did it but need for speed underground 2 on ps2 which is a fantastic game by the way if you've never checked it out um back when ea made good games (laughs) but yeah the the open world 3d arcade racer is is very much a distinct thing and Burnout Paradise is a great example of it a couple of other examples that I specifically wanted to bring up today um two slight slightly lesser known ones um the first one is Midnight Club Los Angeles on PlayStation 3 and I think it might be on 360 as well uh, but certainly the version I've played is on is on uh 360 and I'm glad you said exactly what you did because what Midnight Club is is it's a rock star game set in an open world where you drive cars uh, where there's no getting out your car, there's no shooting, there's no people saying motherfucker at you all the time it's just a game where you have a big city you have a fast car, you drive around, you piss about you occasionally do races and it's so much fun, so much fun um, so if if that is the kind of thing that you want from an open world driving game, if you want Grand Theft Auto without the annoying bits uh, Midnight Club Los Angeles is the game that you should be playing <laughs> and good to me yeah, um, and it's it, it is again. It's a game that doesn't take itself too seriously. If I remember correctly, Midnight Club does have real cars in it, but it treats them just as like as if they were made up cars because you can strap all sorts of all sorts of ridiculous stuff to them you've got special abilities like you can send out emp blasts from your car you can like jam the electronic systems of the cars near you you can go into like bullet time you can um sort of have these ridiculous turbo boosts that you will allow you to just plow straight through other cars and blow them up and that sort of thing it is ridiculous it is a game about the joy of driving a fast car putting it in danger in a fun environment and having the freedom to do things with that car that aren't necessarily just racing so there's a, a, a there's a significant kind of exploration aspect to that uh, you have to go and find events there is sort of a plot that unfolds as you go through but for the most part it's driving around engaging in events finding new bits for your car and it's it's a ton of fun it's a ton of fun and it's a game that does not tend to get talked about much when people talk about the history of rockstar All of the Midnight Club games are actually well worth a look if you've not tried them. I think Midnight Club 2 is where it went open world. That was on the original Xbox, I think. Um, But Midnight Club Los Angeles is, for a lot of people, the real pinnacle of what it was trying to do. So if you enjoy Burnout Paradise, I definitely recommend looking out for that one Um, as part of our sort of seventh generation love fest that we've had going on recently.
1: Yeah, and I remember you mentioning that the Test Drive series was yes, a pretty yes.
0: good so, example of this too. So the, the Test Drive series is uh, sort of probably one of the longest running series out there. Test Drive has always straddled a weird line between arcade and sim. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, so um, the original Test Drive games on uh, Amiga, Atari ST, and PC, they were sort of trying to be as close to sim as they could be with the limitations of the technology at the time. So they were in cockpit view. Um, each car would have different performance but because of the limitations of the tech they were still they still effectively played like vanishing point races that just happened to be from a first person perspective throughout the ps1 and ps2 era they kind of experimented with some other styles so they became a bit more arcadey in the like the ps1 and ps2 era i think and then when we got to uh, xbox 360 we had test drive unlimited which is another good example of an open world driving game it's got real cars um, but as I think I said last time I talked about it this is, not a, this is not a game where you need to know about cars it is a celebration of being rich and obnoxious <coughs> <laughs> so, in, in Test Drive Unlimited it is about collecting cars that look pretty and then driving them around Hawaii um, and then there's various events and stuff to do but if you just want to drive around Hawaii and just see what you can see you can do that and that is one of the reasons that that game is fun it is a, an enjoyable game uh, for that reason it's slightly less about the um the thrill ride side of things uh, okay. than some of the other things that i'm talking about because it's it's set in a very realistic environment but hawaii is quite an interesting place to set it anyway because hawaii's got lots of sort of uh, hilly roads and tight corners and that sort of thing so it's a little bit more down to earth than some of the other games we're talking about here but it's 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 definitely one that's worth looking at uh if, okay. if, if you if you enjoy the idea of of sort of having having a car that's a bit more relatable but doing slightly outlandish things with it not completely outlandish things with it but just doing things that you probably wouldn't be able to do in real life right so that's a good one or drive it yes exactly (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) Um, now, the, the other open-world driving game that I want to talk about is actually a recent discovery that I picked up uh, quite recently and I've only spent a little bit of time with so far, but I, I've already found it quite noteworthy and something that I wanted to talk about. So this is a game called Fuel, uh, which came out in 2009 uh, and has a few noteworthy things about it. Uh, first of all, it's published by Codemasters, and Codemasters um, are pretty much the modern masters of western driving games so they are the people who are responsible for things like the dirt series uh, which is sort of is sort of the big rally series that's around at the minute um codemasters kind of does a bit of both when it comes to sim and arcade racing so some of their stuff airs very much on the side of arcade racing some of their stuff is very much on the side of sim so like they do the official formula one games for example so those are very sim like um, but Fuel is interesting because it was developed by Asobo Studio, who are the people who most recently made Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, and Fuel is actually has some sort of very loose ties to what they've done with Microsoft Flight Simulator because it has an absolutely enormous open world. Um, so supposedly the open world in Fuel is 5,560 square miles, uh, which is apparently roughly the size of the state of Connecticut. It's incredible, <laughs> um, and so so. There's this huge world to drive around in fuel. Um, it's set in a kind of, um, I guess you'd call it like a, a, an alternate present. Uh, in that it's it's sort of um, it's based on the idea that uh, global warming got out of control and uh, sort of destroyed most of the world. Uh, but but the rest of humanity <laughs> how, is a How right. inconceivable! They're, how inconceivable exactly so yeah fuel fuels concept is is sort of like a natural end point of of what we're looking at today so most of um the world has kind of um not been completely destroyed but made impractical to live in so like you'll drive around the world in fuel and you'll see like areas that have been flooded and you see like houses that are like half underwater and so on. The the concept of the game is that humanity is okay, but they've sort of retreated into areas where they can more carefully control the environment and so on. But um, they they we've been left with like this huge stockpile of fossil fuels that no one knows what to do with. So they decide to load it all into all-terrain vehicles and go and race around the ruined parts of the planet because that surely <laughs> won't cause any further problems. Yeah, because that's uh, how we got <laughs> us there in the first place. <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah so so how fuel unfolds is that you have uh, you have a bunch of different vehicles so you have atvs you have motorbikes you have like muscle cars and stuff uh, that you gradually unlock over time you explore this massive world and come to various camps around the place and the various camps have different events that you can do so some of those are races some are ones where you have to catch up with another thing and take them out and uh, some of them are checkpoint races and time trials and so on uh, but yeah the freedom in this game is extraordinary it's it's such an ambitious game for the ps3 xbox 360 era it's a, a world with like incredible scale uh there's so much to see it's a really interesting environment as well it's very mountainous so there's lots of scope for flinging yourself off cliffs and into lakes and uh <laughs> to driving places that you're really not supposed to be and so on um it didn't get um, it didn't get brilliant reviews when it came out because uh, a lot of people sort of felt that um, the rewards you get in the game maybe weren't necessarily worth the effort you have to put in for them. Okay. But but it's it's very much a game that is all about the experience. It's a game that is about having these accessible driving mechanics and be able to drive around this world and discover stuff. So it's less about the actual racing side of things and it's more about using these these simple driving mechanics to enjoy being in this absolutely massive world um and so like i say this is not a game i've spent a lot of time with but it is one that i, I definitely want to go back to a bit more ha- after having um explored it a little while in preparation for this episode so that's fuel from codemasters um and this brings me on to another sort of distinct subgenre of arcade races that i want to talk about a little bit as as sort of um basically the last but one thing we we, we talk about here Uh, and that is off-road races now off-road races is not a genre that I particularly really explored a great deal in the past it's not something that I really felt that really resonated with me but there's just been a couple that I've played that have have kind of made me rethink that attitude a little bit um and so um yeah I, I revisited a couple of these recently um one of these is uh the game Nailed which is by uh, a company called Techland who are most well known for their Dead Island series. So, Nailed um is the most genuinely terrifying racing game I've ever played. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: um they're all pretty scary to me, so
0: I'm yeah. interested. <laughs> it, it, yeah, Nailed is is a step beyond. So, I've talked about the thrill right aspect of this. Nailed is uh it's a it's an off-road game but it is an off-road game with deliberately ridiculously unrealistic physics and so what that means is like you'll fling yourself off a jump and you will go like 100 feet in the air you will sort of see the see the rest of the track passing by beneath you at high speeds and you'll think how the hell am i going to land from this it's it's sort of it's sort of that that feeling where like you know if you think back to like your childhood if you ever fell off your bike and everything sort of seemed to be in slow motion you think this is really going to hurt when it lands yes <laughs> most of nailed is like that <laughs> um and it's it's so much fun because it, it is so fast it is so incredibly fast we're talking like sort of f-zero fast here but in realistic environments um and you're sort of driving over these mountains and through the trees and Flinging yourself off cliffs and so on—it's not open world or anything like that. But the tracks are designed in such a way that there are sort of several different routes through them. So as you as you explore them over the course of the several laps that you do them, you can find slightly better routes and alternative courses around, or over, or under things. Um, and I think, it, yeah, it, it is one of the best examples of the sort of thrill ride aspects of um, arcade races that I think I can find. It's also um, if you've ever wanted a game. Uh I'm not normally one to make Star Wars comparisons here but if you ever wanted a game that kind of recreates the speeder bike scene from Return of the Jedi this mm. is this is the game you should play because there are there is one of the environments in which the tracks are set is sort of a very heavily wooded um I think it's like a sort of Canadian mountainside or something so there's like loads of sort of big fir trees and stuff like that and you're sort of weaving in and out of the of the tree trunks while you're racing down things but the game is set up in such a way that um yes you can crash yes you can play into things at high speed but it's it's very forgiving it's very forgiving which i think is really important if you're going to have a game that is going that fast you need to make sure that it is forgiving enough to not just be completely unplayable and nailed when you first look at it you might think how am i ever going to control this but as you as you play it a bit more you sort of really get into the zone with it you really sort of start to get a feel for how these tracks are designed and how that in a lot of cases, things like the big jumps are, are deliberately designed to give you a moment or two of almost downtime, because sure. while you're up, while you're up in the air, there's not a lot you can do with regards to like steering and stuff like that. So you just have to sort of take aim for the thing that you see coming up, cl- uh, coming up in the distance, and you can sort of take aim for that and point your nose towards that. But otherwise, you just have to sort of just fling yourself off it and kind of deal with the consequences. And now the I'm watching t-
1: some footage of it now, yeah. It's, uh- the emphasis on verticality is yeah. really cool. You don't see that in a lot of racers. Just there's so much up and down, yeah. so much jumping, so much falling. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say too, like part of the problem I have with racing games, and like what you know, we talked about, like why I prefer stuff like Inertial Drift or Ridge Racer because it doesn't have real cars. Like I have a weird disconnect when I play video games where I just don't want them to be remotely realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm watching the footage of Nailed and I'm since like the sincere like first thought in my head was this looks really cool. I would play the shit out of this if it were hovercrafts or something. <laughs> but ju- yeah. just because it's bikes and quads in like yeah. dirty deserts. I'm like eh. yeah. Like aesthetically it's displeasing to me. So like
0: no, I, I I know exactly I, what you mean and this this I think is is one of the reasons that I've sort of historically written off a lot of off-road races um, and so N- Nailed was actually specifically recommended to me by a friend of mine when I was asking for some new arcade races to check out and he was like oh you check- have you checked out Nailed I think you would really enjoy it and I was like mm-hmm. I never really played many uh, many off-road races and I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it and he was like no seriously try it <laughs> I mean, and this looks like-
1: incredible it looks yeah. like so much fun
0: and then like uh, yeah so, so like half an hour later I was, I was back messaging him it was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> yeah it's it looks really cool i just wish <laughs> just yeah. wish
1: it was hovercraft
0: yeah no i i know exactly what you mean but uh yeah nailed nailed is definitely one worth checking out i don't think it's a particularly representative example of what off-road racing games are like uh but it is certainly an incredibly fun one um and so that that is something that I would I would encourage people to check out even if you even if you don't think you'll be a fan of the presentation or the aesthetic, just because the actual the actual fun factor of playing uh, it, the accessibility, the sheer speed of it is just so thrilling that it's it's worth a try. Um, now, uh, sort of getting s- slightly more, but not not super mundane with uh, with off road races. Another one that I specifically wanted to check out that's a reasonably recent discovery for me is a game called Pure. Um, and the main reason I wanted to check this out is it's the game that uh, BlackRock Studios developed before they made Split Second.
1: Oh, you love Split Second. Yes,
0: I love, 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 love Split Second. So, um, Pure is um, maybe a slightly more traditional take on off-road racing, but it's still got really exaggerated elements to it. And in particular, there's quite a strong emphasis on doing tricks um, in the, when you're in the air. It's so published Mc- by Disney. Why did
1: Disney yeah. publish an off-road racing game?
0: yeah i don't i I don't understand how all that happened but like yeah disney published split second as well it's bizarre um but yeah so so in pure this there's a mechanic where um as you're racing around uh you can sort of preload your jumps so what you do is you sort of pull back on the stick to kind of crouch down and then as you go over the top of the jump you kind of push the stick forward uh to kind of make yourself jump a bit higher and there's a really nice kind of physical aspect to that Uh, and then when you're in the air you you press various buttons and push directions to do tricks um and the more tricks you do the more this bar builds up and the more elaborate tricks you can do and that allows you to get bigger speed boosts and so on so there's kind of a almost like a a sort of extreme sports game aspect to this uh which is quite fun it it what i've played of it so far doesn't seem to be like score based or anything like that it's all about building up boost um but there are some very 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 silly jumps in this game uh, again you've got that thrill ride aspect going on with these huge jumps and sort of pulling off ridiculous uh, special moves each of the characters in the game has their own unique special move like the the one character i've been playing has a move called lazy girl where she just basically turns around on her bike and just lies down on it and goes Ugh, uh, while she's <laughs> flying through the sky so there's there's that really silly aspect in there as well um I haven't played a ton of it so far but what i have played so far seems like a lot of fun um it's not fun in the same way as nailed is in that it's not like super exaggerated high speed flinging yourself off cliffs and things but the sort of stunt aspect of this is quite enjoyable so um that's one thing uh, worth checking out so i just wanted to acknowledge those two games because as i say off-road racing games is not um not a side of racing games that i've explored a great deal in the past but it is a distinct part of 3d arcade races that is worth acknowledging and uh judging by these two games worth exploring a little bit more as well so um i want to wrap up today uh with two games um that i don't know if i want to say killed the genre but they are two games that killed their developers (laughs) um um and this is blur and split second. Uh so blur is the last game by bizarre creations and split second is the last game by blackrock studios um who uh were sort of on, under the wing of uh disney interactive at the time. Um bizarre creations were part of activision at the time uh and in both cases these games it didn't do well enough for the studios to continue existing basically. Uh which is a real shame. So Blur killed off Bizarre Creations and Split Second killed off Blackwatch Studios uh, which is a massive shame because these are both excellent games for entirely different reasons so um, Blur I've talked about a few times on here before but for the sake of anyone who's not come across it before Blur um, takes kind of elements of what they did with the Project Gotham series which is sort of uh, driving realistic cars around real environments but doing ridiculous things to them uh, and it wraps it all in this beautiful uh neon soaked aesthetic it provides you with power-ups and it provides an experience that is uh, a lot of people compare to mario karts but it's it's kind of distinct from that it feels a bit more like stuff like wipeout in that there's lots of big explosions and very stylized visuals and that sort of thing so so Blare is the game in which you can drive a bmw but where you can also fire gigantic homing rockets at people um, and send them flipping off uh, around the side of the track and it's it's just an incredibly fun game um that isn't necessarily about driving well uh it's about flinging lots of brightly colored things at your opponents watching things explode and uh, and having fun there so i don't I, I, given what you've said there about sort of um finding games a bit more appealing when they are less realistic I'm interested in what you make of Blur in that it's kind of got realistic elements and it's also got obviously fantastic elements in there as well so I'm, I'm kind of curious of what you what you make of what you know of Blur.
1: I've always wanted to play Blur. I've never mm-hmm. played it. Um it specifically how I know that it has real cars but just because of like the neon infused aesthetics. So like yeah. you know, we talk often uh, and I've even mentioned in this episode just like 5 minutes ago that um you know, because of my like roots in like the arts like Games need to be aesthetically pleasing to me. Yes. Like, I have no interest in a game that looks like reality. hmm I can walk outside and be in reality. Yeah. For a game to be realistic, it has to transport me to a setting that is inaccessible to me. So like yeah. I, I like Assassin's Creed even though those are attempting to be a level of realism in their presentation because I can't be a pirate on the on the Caribbean. Yeah. 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 Because because I can't uh, climb roofs in Elizabethan England. Like so like but games in a modern setting with a realistic aesthetic have zero value to me. Mm-hmm. I can go to the city. I can walk outside. I live in reality. I don't care. So blur is cool because of this the idea of taking this slightly realistic presentation but then slapping it with this like neon saturation and stylized presentation yeah so so it's always appealed to me in a big way Mm -hmm. it's one i was hoping you'd pay some lip service to today because i'd really like to hear more about it from your perspective
0: yeah definitely blur is blur is just uh, its whole package is just incredibly stylish like it it has lovely menus you will love the menus in blur Mm -hmm. I am a um, menu
1: nerd, as you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so like, Blur does things like it, all, the, all the menus are soaked in neon, but it's got a dynamic soundtrack as you go through the menus as well. So, like, when you're on the title screen, it's playing just, like, the synth lead line. And then when you press the start button, it brings in the bass line. Then when you go into, like, the career mode, it brings in the drum beat and stuff like that. And it's just so incredibly stylish and like the whole game is like that the whole game the whole game is presented it's got it's got an element of that early 2010s grit to it so like you've got things like the camera getting dirty and stuff like that and the interface jiggling around as if it's mounted on your helmet or something like that but it all really works in the context of that game without feeling overly like edgy or obnoxious about it 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 is sure. take it is taking joy in this neon-shaped aesthetic it is taking joy in taking these realistic environments and then plastering obviously unrealistic things over the top of it so like when you're doing a lap in blur you've got these giant pickup icons around the track you have like these gates you can race through to get bonus points and stuff you're you're scoring points you're getting uh, awards left and right as you're doing things and it's 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 a game that it's a game that doesn't forget it's a game it's not trying to be a realistic experience it's not trying to be a driving simulator it remembers constantly and it reminds you constantly that you are playing a video game and you should be enjoying yourself
1: and that's what i want
0: yeah especially is- from a racing game
1: i drive yeah. every day
0: yeah yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> i need driving to be exciting if i want to be enticed by driving
0: <laughs> yeah um so yeah blur Blur is absolutely one that's worth checking out it's it's kind of a crying shame that the uh that the multiplayer isn't really an active thing anymore because blur multiplayer is one of the only times that i've had like a genuinely good experience playing online um because around the time that blur came out there was a really active community of people sort of didn't expect you to talk online or anything like that there was just always people playing all these different modes and there were a lot of different ways to play blur online you could do straight races there was a mario kart style battle mode um you you would sort of earn experience and level up and get kind of new equipment and stuff for your car in there so there was a really interesting meta game to the side of things very heavily inspired by call of duty it has to be said but it really worked in the context of this game just because you were sort of feeling like you were constantly being rewarded for engaging with the game with trying different things and over time you could kind of customize your experience to emphasize the bits that you really enjoyed and um, and and focus on the types of events that you had the most fun with and so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame that there's no one playing it online anymore. But the, the single player mode is definitely very solid as well. There's a lot to do in there. Uh, lots of things to unlock and, uh, and and progress through the game. And like I say, just the, the whole presentation of that game is just so beautiful that it's an experience well worth having um now alongside that um is uh, split second which kind of a lot of the things i said about blur you can say about split second in a slightly different way as well so split second again is a heavily stylized arcade racer split second does not have real cars in it um it has sort of things that look a bit like real cars but they are again sort of stylized to just be like the fast one the heavy one that sort of thing and split second's unique gimmick uh is that it's set in a um a reality tv show um so the whole thing is kind of presented like something that you would watch on mtv so you've got like the 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 broadcast station's logo is constantly in the top right corner of the screen the whole thing is very heavily sort of color corrected so you've got like a vignette um effect around the corners of the screen the colors are heavily saturated they're very high contrast it's got a very distinctive look about it um that is not deliberately not trying to be realistic it's trying to look like a tv show and it really pulls that off with sort of special effects and motion graphics and that sort of thing um and split seconds other gimmick besides being set in a tv show is uh dynamic environments so the the thing is split second is a lot of people compare it to burnout because you build up um you build up a meter uh, much like you do build up your boost bar and burnout so you you, like drift around corners and you draft behind opponents and you slam people into walls and stuff and that allows you to build up this bar but the bar in split second is not for boost power the bar in split second is for unleashing what it calls power plays which are specific points on the track uh where you can make something explode (laughs) um and so what happens is as you're driving around Uh, as your opponents in front of you are approaching one of these power plays an icon will appear over their head and if you press the button at that point you will expend one of the segments of your meter something will explode and hopefully take out your opponents just ahead of you so uh, because it's happening just ahead of you you also then have to take care not to get caught in your own trap (laughs) but um yeah split second is all about making causing as much destruction to the course as possible as you're going around the track and in a lot of cases these uh, these things that you blow up they have a significant impact on the actual structure of the whole track so for example in one track there is um you'll be racing towards this big uh this big sort of industrial tower and one of the higher level um power plays that you can unleash is it causes this tower to collapse onto the road in front of you so it okay. destro- it destroys the part of the highway that you were previously racing on and you end up like racing up the inside of this chimney and then jumping out the other end and so you've got this again like i say this this thrill ride aspect that i've always really enjoyed in um in racing games it's taken to sort of it's natural extreme in split second in that you're racing around these absolutely chaotic environments that are literally falling to pieces around you and changing and adapting and uh, putting yourself in extreme danger <laughs> over the course of things. And the the TV-style presentation really helps with this because uh, one of my favorite things about Split Second is that it does not have a licensed soundtrack. Instead, it has a cinematic soundtrack that oh, has been cool. written specifically for the game um and so it's this sort of um kind of electro orchestral soundtrack that is dynamic uh, as the race progresses so the better you're doing in the race the more sort of intense the soundtrack will be um and then it does things like the the final race in each episode um the backing track for that race is like the main theme for the game so it gives you like a real a real sense of this being like an important almost boss fight um and so just the aspects of presentation in that game are one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite racing games of all time in terms of mechanics it it's um it's perhaps not the the best in terms of mechanics in that there's like a fairly heavy degree of rubber banding on the opponents and the handling is quite heavy and takes a bit of getting used to but in terms of the overall experience of playing that game split second is just such a thrill ride there's nothing quite like it
1: yeah, it's it's always you know you've you've talked about it before, and I've always been kind of intrigued by just like the pure spectacle of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very much a game you play for the spectacle uh, rather than necessarily for it being like it, it's a good game. It's a good game. It's a highly playable game, but it's 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 not the best racing game that there is. But it is a game you play for the experience. Um, it always- and-
1: seem to me like the kind of game where like uh, there are certain games where it's like I keep in my back pocket for like people who I know who aren't super into video games but like may curiously be like what are games like today yeah and like like yeah. what what's a cool example of like show me why you like video games now and like that's the kind of game I would whip out right like really yes. just show, showcasing tech and, and, and spectacle and like this is why I play video games to have this experience that I could never actually actually have
0: yeah yeah that's that's a great example that's a great example of that so um and i mean it 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 because of some of its deliberate stylistic choices that it made it it still holds up very well today in terms of presentation so like the deliberate way that they've used color and um the motion graphics and the vignette effect and the fact that they deliberately limited it to 30 frames a second to make it look more like a tv show stuff like that stuff like that means that it's it's aged really really gracefully as well so it's still yeah very much a game that is worth showing to people um but like i say uh, blur and split second are two great tragedies of the seventh generation because they both killed their respective studios and i don't really know why because both of these games came out and got pretty widely praised by both press and public alike there are a lot of people talking about both of them um blur kind of became a thing when um sort of twitter integration with games um was starting to be a thing like it it had built-in share functions and stuff that you could post your times and challenges and stuff on twitter sure and when i was playing blur there were there were always people who were posting stuff about blur and posting new challenges and stuff so there there were people playing it people bought this game but i activision just thought no that's not good enough and oh. uh, yeah, bizarre creations were no more shortly afterwards, and a similar situation happened with Split Second, which uh, yeah, great tragedy.
1: Probably more, more because of the that the structure of public, publisher and developer relationships in that era. Yeah, yeah. Like things are much different now. Yes, Plus, <laughs> very much. G- g- you know, d- pu- developers have a bit more leeway, and self-publication is is real now. Like. Back in those days, if you were getting published by like Activision or God forbid Disney interactive like <laughs> if your if your game like everyone just expected every game in that era to be call of duty yeah like yeah. if you if you didn't sell like call of duty numbers, you were about your game was bad and your studio got dissolved like that that was just the way the business worked in that era. It was a yeah. really awful time for any kind of creativity in the industry
0: yeah yes yes so like i say a a real shame that that happened and it would be interesting to know if if these if these games had come out today um if if the situation would have been different but uh, i guess we will never know but at least at least we can still enjoy them easily because they Mm -hmm. were still from an era where you can you can get a disc you can play them yes you can't play the multiplayer side of things anymore but well whatever um there are substantial enough single player components to these games that they are enjoyable to play in their own right um blur also has a a four player split screen mode as well which was already becoming pretty rare by that point in the industry but yes you can play blur four player split screen as well so
1: that's incredible
0: yeah um yeah an experience worth having all right, I think those were all of the main things that I wanted to talk about. There's uh, like a really broad mix of different games um, that hopefully shows the sort of real diversity of the 3D arcade gracer genre, if you want to call it that. But you can see it's gone through a lot of changes over time, and there's a lot of different subdivisions of it as well. Um, and so it's it's not so much it's not so much a case of whether you enjoy games where the cars go sideways when you go around corners but there are very distinct parts of the genre that you can explore in varying amounts of detail as well so i hope that sort of highlighted that uh, for you and anyone listening as well if you uh, want to explore things further
1: mm-hmm. i learned that i want to play nailed <laughs> yeah
0: definitely definitely yeah N- nailed and inertial drift sound like the ones that sort of caught your attention the most um so yeah, definitely worth a look. Anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up?
1: No, I, I mean, we've covered the breadth of my experience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, cool. All right, let's wrap that up here for today then. So as always, do you want to tell people where to find you online? And I know there's a lot of new information this time. So
1: yeah, yeah. So I, I, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm kind of in the efforts right now to kind of reboot my online presence. Uh, so uh, my old Mister Gilder Pixels uh, sites are going away. I am now ccaskieart, C-C-A-S-K-I-E-A-R-T, on uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. I have returned to Twitter just for uh, image sharing, Um, as well as uh, I'm in the midst of rebuilding a new website that's going to have a direct storefront, so you won't have to go to Etsy or bop around the internet anymore to figure out where you can buy my things. It'll be a direct purchase right from my site, um, which is going to be great. So yeah keep an eye out uh, a lot of new stuff on the horizon uh, part of the reason I've ditched the uh, pixel reference in my online screen name is because although I will continue to do pixel art related stuff uh, it, I'm no longer uh, limiting myself to that stuff I'm, I'm experimenting with some new mediums and some other uh, types of pieces to sell so I'll look forward to that
0: Cool and as always you can find my writing on moegamer.net We're still working our way through the Italian mega feature at the minute we're up to Atelier tottery now uh so we're making decent progress but still a long way to go um on youtube you can find video versions of this podcast uh you can also find the three atari a to z series and the new evercade a to z series where i'm going through some of the uh games from the evercade lineup uh, and also short play which is just games i feel like playing and showing off to you at at, uh, at various points so you'll probably see stuff like undead darlings on there at some point Uh, as well as some other bits and bobs from around the place and probably some of these racing games as well because i've sort of uh, rediscovered a lot of them and feel like playing them some more so i might as well do it on camera right um if you're listening to this podcast on soundcloud as i say you can uh, also see a video version including footage of all the games that we've talked about um and if you're watching on youtube and we would prefer an audio only version you can subscribe via soundcloud spotify itunes and probably some other places that i haven't thought of uh, around the internet as well so just remains for us to say as always thank you very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game. So be sure to check the archives to see if your favorite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, Please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.